Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's go back to 2009 with Squidge. Let's look at the Lions Tour again with Squidge. Hello. Welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Lions Tour retrospective podcast. The podcast that only has one more episode to go until they can just go back to calling it the thing they want to call it. It took them 48 episodes to get used to calling it. And then we're lionsed out. And there is today going to rugby. Rugby? Rugby, I think. Rugby, okay. So I wanted to just establish that very early on. Uh, I've been trying to, after last week, for anyone concerned, uh, look at rugby again in the last week because I had, in that period, forgotten what rugby was almost entirely. Yeah. I do want to ask, though, I do want to follow up. Uh, I believe you've actually been to rugby in the last week. I have, you know. Well, I was about to say that on balance, I have looked at no rugby in the last seven days but, other than the one we've looked at this game. But, but I have been through rugby on a train okay. from London, which was going to Crew. Nice. Why would anyone go to Crew? But that's a separate point. I was um, changing there. You were changing in Crew. You were just, just taking all your yeah. clothes off at Crew train so, station, then I getting was, back on the train back yeah, to London. Yeah, I was, <laughs> just gonna yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, look, look, Crew changed me. I was a different person. Have you have you ever heard of um, uh, a song by Drake called "Crew Love"? Because that's that's actually about crew, Is it? the train station. Right? Yeah, Did he yeah, gets yeah. changed there as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, as I say, he's a, he was a changed man yeah. as well, and you know, went back to London, uh, back through rugby, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was I was literally sat in um, a seat on a train, mm. which what happened to be in rugby for about thirty seconds. Oh, okay. I thought you must have changed at rugby because I knew you were on the train and you texted me to say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm currently in rugby. And I thought, yeah, well, yeah, that, yeah. Would be no- that would only be noteworthy if he's not travelling through rugby for 30 seconds. Well, I just saw a sign in a train station that just said rugby. <laughs> and naturally, I just thought, what am I going to do here? Well, I might as well just text my brother, who I... Like, about... 30 to 40% of our discourse just, is the word rugby. Oh, so yeah, I just yeah, thought, yeah. I might as well tell you that I'm currently witnessing a sign that just says it and not referring to the sport. It's mad, isn't it? Whenever you see something, that just, like whenever you look at a map and you're like, it just says rugby there. Like, yeah, you never look at a map that? and see baseball written down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you, you look at that map and you just think like, oh, is this... You know, a, a tribute to Canada flanker Matt Heaton, for example. Like, you know, every player of rugby and coach of <laughs> yes, everything to do is. rugby is encapsulated in yes, that it word. Is. It is absolutely a tribute to former Darlington Matt Heaton. flanker Matt Heaton, uh, now playing yeah. in NLR. It is yeah. just a tribute to Matt Heaton uh, and the try score against South Africa. And they saw yeah. that in the future and they went, let's name a town after a sport that he might one day play. And therefore then when they came to invent the sport in the school that at that point was going to just be called Big School because it was the biggest school in the yeah. town. <laughs> they yeah, had yeah. to rename the sport from Big 
to rugby, which is what they named it entirely because Peter yeah. Canada flanker, whose father would not be born for another well, hundred years, was I thought. I thought that the reason why they stopped calling it Big Call is because copyright cool. reasons from Big the Cat. No, that's what he's called. You said Big Call rather than Big School. Big, yeah. big Call. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they call that's, the town. Yeah. The, the, well, Big the Cat's surname is Cool. Yeah. Like, he's related to, you know, Trey Cool, the drummer from Green Day. Yes. And uh, Daddy Cool yes. as well, the the Boney M song, you know. Uh, and um, Ice Lollies. He, he's... he's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Big Cool, the, uh, the Big the Cat from mm. Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, the franchise, uh, sued Big School in rugby and they changed their name to rugby. Yeah, but thankfully, History's there great. Was a, thankfully there was a time travelling, a time traveller who really, really loved Canadian rugby, but could only get access to the mm. one game that got battered by South Africa in 2019. So gave a, yeah, gave a tribute yeah. to the one player that scored their one try. That happened yeah. to be travelling back when Big the Cat, who was also had ended up back there through the same time traveling antics. Um, yeah, yeah. Up... Having been changed in crew, exactly. of course. Exactly. He's coming, you know, he's coming from a big of a planet, isn't he? You know, he's just frog. He yeah. got lost in time, so we had to go and find him elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, it was a whole kerfuffle. And it eventually led to, in 2009, years later, a, a game, a match of the sport that was so mm. almost called Big Cool uh, was instead. Yeah. Big Cool Football, as it would have been known, which sounds like it should be on the PS2. Yeah. Instead, a game of Big Cool Football was played between the British and Irish Lions and South Africa. And then another one was played a week after that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. On the, the Big Cool Lions Tour retrospective. Podcast, thank you. Um, it is incredibly big and incredibly clever and incredibly, incredibly cool. So, so just to um to fill anybody in, this is one of the most famous games of rugby in history, uh, and we've given you a good history lesson yep. there. You know, people talk about this as one of the greatest games to ever happen, one of the most dramatic. So much to talk about. You know, it's possible that this will be a two-hour episode like we had before. It's gonna have to be if we're gonna cover even the first ten minutes. So, yeah, so this is, as we say, one of the, the most acclaimed games of all time. We went over yeah. in the previous episode, the first test, uh, which yeah. I think is greatly underrated as a game of rugby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. the one where the, the praises are rightly sung very yeah. much. It was, the first test was a great preface for this, I think, mm. because South Africa dominated the British and Irish Lions for the majority of the match. The Lions fought their way back into it, which I suppose is the bit of hope that the Lions will cling on to throughout the week, you know, is all, all the mm. pride that goes with it and everything. So, safe to say that both teams are up for this game. South Africa are 1-0 up in the series, but the Lions have it all to play for and have made a load of changes and they feel and look a lot more ready for this test this week. Yes, yeah, and that was kind of the a lot of the talk in the week was the Lions finished stronger, and so would yeah. that you know ready them to obviously they could start better and then they could still come through better than the, the tail sure. end. That was a lot of talk in the week. The talk the week following this was very very different, and we'll get into that. Uh, that sure. was far closer to the discourse that followed the twenty twenty one tour, mm. and it was. Can you imagine how nasty the talk after this tour would this game would have been if Twitter well Twitter existed at this point but it wasn't the same thing I was thinking you know? that yeah 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 after Twitter would have been horrible and so toxic like yeah, beyond yeah. what it was this year uh yeah. if that had been an option like in 2009 yeah Twitter's reaction to the 2021 Lions tour, and I covered this on the last episode, has kind of put me off rugby for a little bit. Yeah, Obviously yeah. I still write about the thing, I still do this podcast, but 
I've uh, I've taken a bit of a step back mm. so I can actually enjoy writing about rugby and talking about rugby and watching rugby when the Northern Hemisphere season comes back, you know, yes. because the discourse around it was so horrible. And like, you know, I, I wrote an article sticking up for the Springboks and I still have South African fans in my DMs talk, telling me I'm a biased piece of shit. Like, uh, it was, it's ridiculous. Mm. So, you know, like, take that up a few notches. Yeah to this tour because it was so hostile in this tour and like uh i can remember listening to tommy bow did an interview where basically there was a point five minutes into this game Mm. where bod just got them into a huddle and just said this is war okay Mm. like we're giving no inch i don't care how illegal it is like this is war uh and we'll come on to exactly why in a minute there's a point uh dowie morris makes on i mean Dowie dowie morris who is perhaps the most baffling of all successful rugby commentators Right? Yeah, like there's some some sometimes you see a a current player or a recently retired player work as a pundit and you go okay they're not very good at it but you know they're doing it once or twice a yeah year ago, yeah right? and, no and sometimes that. you go at least they're a good player I like Shane Williams right Dowie Morris who is a much forgotten uh, Welsh qualified English scrum half and people only talk about him because he was Welsh but chose to play for England instead. Uh, that was yeah. the only reason anyone remembered him. He instead kind of made a career out of not knowing what was going on on the pitch in front of him and being regularly misogynistic. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was his career. And at one point, with 20 minutes to go in this game, he says, we're 20 minutes away from the Lions definitely winning this test match. It doesn't get much better than that. I've got the best seat in the house. He then says that Brian O'Driscoll has just made a tackle he's been penalised for. He said it doesn't matter that it was illegal, it was worth making, the Lions are better off than South Africa for Bod having made that tackle, despite him being penalised for it and injuring himself in the process. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, on balance, I would describe that as not worth it. I There um, was a moment in which I wondered, is that the worst bit of punditry of all time? It's up there. And I mean, if you strong, put aside... But... Dowie Morris's misogynistic comments, which yes. technically count as punditry, given he's doing it on telly on a rugby game. Uh, I think if you put them to a side, you have a case. Yes, Dowie Morris, a baffling individual. But that's the point you're making. It just like of oh, Brian O'Driscoll was willing to make an illegal shot there, you mm, know. And sure. a little bit of it is you've got in their heads a bit, and both teams yeah. were completely flying well, at each other. There's sometimes... so many. Can you imagine how many cards would have been dossed out these days if they were given? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I did think this. Nailed yeah. on red card from Matthew Reese at one point. Uh, we'll, yes, we'll get onto yeah. the nailed on red cards that should have happened in the first minute. Yeah, there's one that uh, where Brian Habana flies into Tommy Bow, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. a That's... perfect textbook it's... shot at this point. Whereas now that would be looked at and would maybe be a yellow card. You it's know, very similar to the one Ruka Corabetti was sent off for against France. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not simil- too similar. It's is it? very similar to that, but there's actually slightly more contact to the head. Yeah. But as you say, like it's a great tackle. In Perfectly in great tackle back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, should we look at the teams for this particularly? I believe they say Titanic encounter. Yeah, let's let's start, start with the box. With the Springboks team. So the Springboks go with largely the same team they did the previous week. Uh, they make one change to the starting fifteen with uh, Schalkberger returning from injury to win his fiftieth cap. This should be a great occasion for him, uh, one that he's going to really be motivated to have a really positive game and a really positive day. Right, right from the first minute, you'd imagine, yeah. that he's going to have a really positive 80 minutes right from the off. Yeah. So yeah, as you say, largely the same team. Uh, so Hanuk Brousseau, as you say, is on the bench. Chili Boy Ralapelle comes onto yes. the bench. And doesn't come on. And is unused. Uh, presumably because he's just kind of swaying from all heroin he's taken an hour earlier. <laughs> Sure, I'm sure. Um, it, maybe he's passing on some advice for um, Matt Stevens to go on tour in four years' time. Yeah, on the next one, he's African <laughs> as well. So, 
Yeah, of course. Should we uh, should we go swiftly on to the Lions? I think the South African yeah. team mostly speaks for itself. It's a brilliant team. You've got Dupria, Banner, De Villiers, Schmidt and Duplessis in the front row. Uh, like, it's a brilliant team. They stick with A.D. Jacobs and Jean de Villiers mm. in the centres. Uh, Jean yeah. de Villiers has not had this best run of form, but is Jean de Villiers who obviously stays there. Sure, in. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. He's, Paris... he's a titanic man. Like. Yes. Jacques Free and Morning Stay are very much kind of the form players in South Africa. There's bats sure. go uh, coming into this yeah. and they're put on the bench and they kind of stick with the more established players in the midfield because both of them are quite well. Morning Stay certainly is only his second cap. Ricky January drops out the team, unfortunately, which is a huge shame for fans of dive passes everywhere. Um, though there is a treat coming up in the second half. The Lions, yeah, make more changes from the first game. So there's a couple that were injury enforced. So Lee Byrne. Uh, Got injured in that first game, and in comes Rob Carney for him. Not a bad replacement. Beyond... No, no. And again, you know, we'll come on to that. But um, yeah, sure. <laughs> they then drop out Phil Vickery, who had, as we discussed at length, a nightmare yeah. in that previous game. Bless him. They drop Ugo Monia, who failed to finish a couple of times and got a lot of stick for it. In comes Luke Fitzgerald. Yeah. And Matthew Reese comes in for Lee Mears, who got called up for the Crisp Convention uh, a day mm, earlier and yeah. can't even make the bench. Like, uh, obviously, Ewan Murray couldn't play on Sundays because of mm. his faith, whereas Lee Mears couldn't play on days of Crisp Conventions because of his occupation. Yeah, yeah, he had to he had to go and sell some um, golden wheels to people. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh... was he cited as well for his many Crisp sales that he'd made? No, he uh, actually wasn't. First... It was actually, okay. uh, Peter Davili has commented on that in the week and said, uh, this is rugby. If you want to go and do Crisp sales, go to the, the dress shop, uh, buy some nice tutus and sell some Crisps. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it was a really weird comment with absolutely no sense in or out of context. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the Lions have Ross Ford and Harry Ads on the bench, but uh, don't bring either of them on. Yeah, yeah. So like Shane Williams is on the bench, Agara yes. stays on the bench, uh, Alan Wynne Jones moves to the bench with Simon Shaw taking his place in yes. the starting 15, and Andrew Sorry. Sheridan also is on the bench, is solid as a rock. Buried the lead there, Simon Shaw becomes the oldest man to ever make his test debut for the Lions at 35 yes. years of old. Years of age, bit old. <laughs> years of old. Said. Simon Shaw, who, yes, since playing on the 1997 tour... Uh, where he didn't make mm. the tests, going on the 2001 tour, where he didn't make the, no 2005 tour, he didn't make the tests. In the middle of somewhere, he went to the beach that made you old, and he came out the other end as a graying kind of like he played like the guy in the thirds who used to be really good, but is slowing down a bit. Sure, but, like you know, he kind of had that energy to him, but he like elder statesman, yeah. you know. Yeah, he came but at in. Lions, yes, the Lions brought him in, and boy, was that an inspired decision. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's talking about him and Carney. It's just like <laughs> substitutions that aged well. <laughs> yes, and I reckon at the time bringing in Simon Shaw was probably quite a bold thing to do. Um, yeah, I he think played so. Well off the bench against the emerging Springboks in the week, the test, the game between these two first and second tests. Yeah, um, and they kind of went, okay, there's something we can do there. Um, well, yeah, so they started him. <laughs> On paper, Shaw and O'Connell isn't the most dynamic second row partnership, but they're both tremendously talented and hard bastards, which is Mm. exactly what you need against Matfield and Bota, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it it was, as you say, an inspired decision. And Alan Wynne-Jones moving onto the bench, I think, was a good call, you know? Uh, At this point, he really worked as an impact sub. I think, you know, he, he does play well when he comes on. Yes. So, I suppose we'll come back to Simon Shaw as we go on through the game. Yeah. Or do you want to start on Simon Shaw? No, not Simon Shaw. But there's one more selection that is worth talking about, and that is the referee. Yes, 
So, last week's Dick of the Day, Unanimous, Christoph mm-hmm. Burdos, who was the previous TMO and uh, was asked to referee this game, he it's his first major test match, so he hasn't refereed a Tri-Nations I, or a Six Nations match yet. I can tell you, actually, he had refereed one Six Nations game. Uh, he refereed oh, Ireland he? v Scotland the previous year. Uh, okay. That was his only Tier 1 match. He had... Oh, no, sorry, he's... he's he refereed two tier two matches. Prior to that, he'd refereed a handful of games between the Pacific Nations. Uh, his first test was between Samoa and Tonga. He'd also refereed Samoa against Fiji and Tonga against Fiji. Uh, so he'd okay. done some games in that Pacific Nations Cup. Uh, he then Great prep for the Lions test series. World Cup game between New Zealand and Canada. Uh, he was a touch. These are quite the sparse. He then refereed a game between the Barbarians and South Africa at Twickenham the year before this, as well as a Six Nations game between Ireland and Scotland, which was the only Tier 1 v Tier 1 game he'd refereed prior to this. Wow. Uh, he is listed so... on the official Rugby World Cup website as being zero centimetres tall and weighing zero inches. <laughs> Sorry, weighing zero inches. Being... <laughs> so he's like only just bigger than Hamish Watson. <laughs> According to South Africans, yeah. So no wonder you kind of didn't notice him when it came to making decisions. <laughs> yeah yeah so as you said gr- some great prep for uh refereeing the lions test decider maybe mm. the most pressurized rugby match in two years of test rugby well four years of test rugby i suppose either side of the world cup so uh yeah there's an Actually, interesting decision no I'm and gonna you know tell you, i'm gonna tell you something more about christoph burdos go on christoph burdos and i've just read this started refereeing in 1986 was <laughs> Christoph Bertas started refereeing in 1986. So 23 um, years into his career. 23 years into his career, he got a test match for the first he time. He is just, just by complete fluke, is given the biggest rugby no! match ever. Okay, but then the French Rugby Union have a rule that once a referee turns 45, they've since got rid of this rule, once a referee turns 45, he can no longer officiate at the top level. So he was dropped as a referee... <laughs> A year after this, so he didn't make the following World Cup? I thought you were going to say it's one of those laws that, like, in France, if you're a referee and you turn over 45, you know, it's legally okay to shoot him with a bow and arrow in a field or something like that. I thought you were going to spout a law like that, which, to be honest, if Christophe Berdos was in charge, probably would exist. Once the referee hits 45, they must carry a bottle of wine and a shotgun with them to every match. (laughs) (laughs) No, so Christoph Burdos, right, referee for 20-odd years, got up to test standard, then was dropped about 18 months later. Well, you say got up to test standard, we'll you know, talk about that. Got up to test standard, then was dropped by the French rugby due to, like, a, an official rule that made no sense almost immediately. I've I've just checked. So Wayne Barnes mm. uh, is probably the most experienced referee on the circuit now. He's 42 years old. Uh, right. currently in 2021 and also i mean it's one thing to discuss his refereeing contentions on he's a really good looking bloke let's just come to mind wayne barnes, wayne yeah, barnes yeah, is yeah. a good looking guy wayne at barnes 42. has that like hollywood you know that thing when you see hollywood actors in their 40s and you go like well okay no it makes sense because they've got access to the best skincare people in the world right hmm. wayne barnes has got that but he's a he's a he's a barrister who referees rugby sure yeah I mean, like, I get that he's he's not quite as um, as good looking as maybe Steve Walsh, for example. But yeah. you know, we can't set our barriers too high. Um, should we do a separate podcast on hot referees? Yes, let's do it. The Steve uh, Walsh podcast we, um... on. So, Burdos sure, is appointed to game. referee the game. He has, I suppose, spent some time looking over his French English dictionary since the previous week. But there's still a lot of errors. We'll, we'll get on to that. Yes. We'll get on to that. 
So let's talk about the kickoff. Usually yeah. we'd probably jump to about five minutes into the game, but the Lions kicked the ball off. South Africa set them all after catching it, and they go, they go forwards a bit. And you think, okay, this is going to be a game here. And then uh, Fauri Dupree kicks to touch, and you think, okay, Lions attacking opportunity. Let's go. Let's see what's happening here. And suddenly Christoph Bell's caught up in conversation. What happens, Robbie? Yes. So I assume you also were very much looking out for this, knowing it happened in the first minute. Yeah. Yeah. And I went back. I remember this clear as day from watching it in 2009. Yeah, same. And I'm sure everybody listening knows what we're on about. So uh, after them all, um, one of the South African players carries in and over the top steps Luke Fitzgerald. Uh, who is, you know, in that way happens, like a back will step over the breakdown, they'll be very easily blown out and they stand to the side, so, right? when the mall was happening, I spent my whole time watching Luke Fitzgerald stood on yeah. the left wing and seeing when he would get involved. So he's barely involved in the ruck, right? He's kind of, yeah. he steps in, he kind of thinks about going for a jackal, realises he's That's a winger, yeah. moves along. You know, he kind of forces the, the opposition to commit a man to the breakdown. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, Berger is lying on the floor having been part of the mall. He spots Fitzgerald and he lunges for his head, right? Yeah. He grabs him and then shoves his fingers in his eye and is very clearly looking at him, looking at what he's doing and digging them in. He's digging his fingers into Fitzgerald's eyes. And so the worst thing about it, so originally he kind of crot rolls Fitzgerald, right? Mm. And then gets him in a position where he has access to Fitzgerald's face, right? One of his hands he notices isn't going to quite make it and so he digs in with his other hand and it's really horrific viewing it's horrible and he is like he is looking at him he knows exactly what he's doing he can see where his fingers are going and as you say like he brings his eyes around his fingers around to go into Fitzgerald I honestly gasped and like I was looking out for it on first viewing I couldn't watch it back on the second and just to reiterate this happened 19 seconds into the game into his 50th cap cap. one of the biggest games he'll ever play other than that World Cup final Right? Yeah. Um, Berger goes for the most, genuinely, it's the most blatant gouge I've ever seen on a rugby pitch. It's one of the most abhorrent things I've seen yeah. in a sporting arena. It's, and like, I have heard all kinds of reports from people that know him personally that Jacques Berger is a lovely man and is a very warm yeah. and kind and man. And I believe my that God. completely, right? I, and but like, you I do that, respect him. Yeah. I, you know, I think he's an incredibly I, amazing rugby player and uh, I, I, I don't doubt that he's a great guy as well, you know? Uh, yeah. And, as I say, I've not let this taint my view on Scott Berger no, no, as, no. as a person, a player, anything like that. You know, I, I still respect him immensely. But looking at this one isolated incident, if it's abhorrent. Anyone who does that, right, there is at least a bit of their soul that is the soul of a cunt. And, you know, and that comes out to the before there, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, I just know like that is something that would never occur to me to do. Um, sure. You know. Uh, and that's not and you are a cunt as well. I was well. going to say, yeah, like, look, like, 80% of my soul is the soul of a cunt. And I just lent 20% to Schottberger, uh, who is otherwise a lovely man, as I said, I'm, you know, as I'm, as I'm assured. Uh, and I think it's very much that, like, if you're brought up as a springbok and you're wanting to be a springbok, you're kind of forced to be incredibly confrontational and angry all the time. You, you are, know? yeah, yeah. And I often think like, this, that, like... That's, that's always been their way, you know? Yeah. And that's great. It works so well for them. It's I brilliant. I think this about, like, rugby players in general, that 
they're taught really unhealthy ways of managing their anger and emotions. Mm, uh, in the, sure. the fact that they're led to like just be angry all the time and let it out every now and again. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're not angry, you're kind of, you're taught to be arrogant. You yeah, know? And I like think if you're a fly half or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a particular problem in South Africa. Like I think that's a like a an even bigger thing because of the the brand around the Springboks and because of how the Springboks are held um, yeah. and the way they're looked at and you know what the, what's valued there. And I think that's, that's a different and bigger point, uh, but it's something. I aggression is heroism in the Springboks, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, yeah. so it should be because that's what. No, and I get me. it. Like it's not a yeah, um, but you end up with this kind of situation where something boils over every now and again. And yeah. it is like as I say, it's not a judgment on shot burger at all, but no. it is a cunt trick. No, indeed the Springboks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's horrible. So... Um, it is the clearest red card, and it should have been like a a very lengthy ban. Like I yeah. would have said two year ban. Right, if I were yeah. looking at that, depend. Obviously, rugby has this whole thing about trying to protect its image by um, yes. claiming that everybody's remorseful and giving people really short bans. But uh, I think, depending on the behaviour of Burger following the ban, I think you start at two years and you maybe work down or up from there. Yeah, you know, given it's an assault and it's a very bad one at that. Um, you... And uh, it sounds it sounds ter- a lot a lot a lot like sour grapes here. But if this was a Lions player, believe me, I'd be saying the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, com- I completely agree. Like, I, I wouldn't want the player that did that on the team. You know, I would hold it yeah. against them for the rest of their yeah. career. Exactly. Uh, and I, said, I don't hold it against Schottberger necessarily, but it's, a, you know. Do you know, do you remember, have you checked how long he was banned for? Um, from memory, it was around 10 weeks. Eight weeks. <laughs> Which Eight he weeks. only sat out six of, uh, I believe. So he came back from his ban a couple of weeks early, didn't he? Yes, I remember. Like he, he came back, he like played without, the championship that year. Without even an appeal nations. or anything, like he just yeah. came back and World Rugby did nothing about it, right? Yeah, so he came back and played in the Rugby Championship later that year, uh, played in the Tri-Nations later that year. Um, yeah. He was, there was a further investigation. They said that it was no intention to gouge Fitzgerald's eyes, but Berger acted contrary to good sportsmanship by making contact with the face in the eye area. So, like, oh, it didn't gouge him, but he did. He, he he did oppose rugby values by gouging him. I love that they cite rugby values as the reason for not gouging someone. Yeah, yeah. It's like, reason for ban. Yes. Um, you, well, you'd, you'd think the reason for banning him is obvious, you know, that he committed a very dangerous act on a rugby field. Like, it's like, no, 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 no. Nothing to do with that. That's fine. He opposed our values, man. Rugby has a rule that is ungentlemanly conduct. Someone can be red carded for ungentlemanly conduct. Rugby is so like, far up its own arse. Like, like, if you don't raise your little finger when drinking a cup of tea, you know, yeah, if you don't sure. bow or curtsy properly to the Queen when she's, you know, to like Princess Anne when she's shaking everyone's hands before a match at Murrayfield, you can be red carded yeah. for it. Berger responded by saying, I only have the utmost respect for the wonderful traditions of the wonderful game of rugby. Through my life and career, I have always approached the game with the intention of only ever playing it hard and fair. I am not a rugby thug and will never intentionally engage in eye gouging or similar illegal actions. Right, okay, like, I believe that that's true, everything Berger says of himself. But is that a fake showbiz quote? I don't know. That is is his actual quote attributed to him by the South African, you know, by Sport24. Full rugby values there. Yep. He says, you know, he also says, like, as a proud South African and Springbok rugby player, I have only the utmost. I am therefore oh grateful God. the judicial officer confirmed my stance 
his conclusions that there was no deliberate eye gouging to be charged, blah, 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 blah. I apologise to my supporters and fellow teammates for the fact that I've been absent for the first 10 minutes of the second test. I look forward to returning with zest in due course. <laughs> you know what else is funny about that, right? So Berger will have pleaded guilty to uh, to reduce his ban, right? Because yes. the way it works no, in rugby is... No, he played, he played not guilty. Uh, oh, okay, did he the, now? Okay. The charge was of gouging, and he pled that he didn't eye gouge, he just made contact with the eye. Right. Okay. And he's found... <laughs> so he gouged. Yes. <laughs> I'm struggling to say the difference. It's he the opposed law, rugby it? values rather than gouging. <laughs> yes. There we go. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he opposed rugby values via Luke Fitzgerald's corneas. Um, rugby values. So, let's... Well, you know when you were on that train, right? How many yeah, values did you yeah. feel in those 30 seconds flashing through yeah. your body? Did you just there was feel not, so virtuous? There was a lot of big cool values, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, there's a, a hell of a lot to unpack here, right? Yes. So... The conversation that happens between Christoph yes. Berdos and so, his church judge. This is the thing we've lost in the in in yeah in the middle. So, which church judge is it? It's not Bryce Lawrence. It's the one on the other side, isn't it? I thought it was Bryce Lawrence. Oh, um, is it Bryce? In fact, you know, you're right. It, it, yeah, it's Christoph Berdos and Bryce Lawrence, who was last week's referee, uh, who, as we as we established on last week's pod, uh, has lost all respect for Christoph Berdos uh, because of his poor communication as a TMO. So. Uh, he communicates with Bryce Lawrence. Bryce mm. Lawrence is the one who spotted Berger do this on the floor. And fair play as well uh, to Bryce Lawrence for, for yeah. spotting this. We co- we've covered it in a lot of times before that he is not the best friend of Springbok fans. But okay. uh, Bryce Lawrence spots this immediately and calls off Ber- over Berdos and says, look, this is a really serious incident. Number six has gouged um, on the floor. It's very clear that his finger goes in the eyes. Uh, you need to do something about this. And Christoph Berdos goes... Oh, what? Yeah, he begins to walk back, going like, "What a great time we're all having!" He's like, "Okay, thanks for letting me know, man." Yeah, have a great day. Keep on. And then he steps. Then Lauren steps back in and goes, "No, you need you need to do something about it." And he goes, "Oh, it's a yellow card." It's at least yellow card. card. It's about to. And he's like, he cuts him off mid sentence, wanders back, says, "Uh, "Your finger go near a yellow card." Uh, Sends him off. No, I forgot. I meant to get up the clip as well, actually, because I'm pretty sure he says something mad again as he's sending him off. Yeah, so he 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 kind of panics and goes yellow card, and then Bryce Lawrence kind of sarcastically goes, "I think it's at least a yellow card." Yeah. Uh, at which point Berdos then goes yellow card and calls over Bird uh, like, Berger. You watch Lawrence as he's walking back. Like Lawrence is starting to talk again. As yeah. Burdos walks back to give the yellow card. That's the thing. So Lawrence clearly has a moment where he goes, I should have sat my authority a bit there. I yeah. should have said a bit clearer that that's a red. And like, right. I had it in my head that it was the mm. touch judge's fault for saying at least a yellow card. Right. Yeah. Which, it, don't get me wrong, it is. But Bryce Lawrence sure, should yeah. have communicated, instead of phrasing it as at least a yellow card, he should have phrased it as, I think that's a red card, mate. Like yeah. he he should have phrased it that way. He should have used the word red. Right? He was trying to be but, witty, wasn't he? He was like, "I've got yeah. Mr. Bean in front of me. I want to be a comedic genius as well." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I want to be. And Christoph Burdos interpreted that very badly. And obviously, having yes. the context of the previous week and the communication language barrier between those two, it kind of contextualizes this a little bit and makes you realise how Burdos interpreted that uh, instruction from his touch judge. Right? Yes. Yes. So he, as I say, calls Berger over, give, gives me a yellow card. We are 40 seconds can't into the speak. game. Uh, yeah. Yes, and we all can't speak. And Berdos also brings up the original penalty was going to be against the Lions. 
um, and mentions yeah. reversed it for the you know, and that's the thing he talks about more <laughs> than the fact that, that is. you have completely contravened rugby values and therefore are going to prison. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So there's another point slightly later on where I have in my notes, Burdos is useless. So there's a bit of uh, a sort of scuffle five minutes into the game, mm. which I think is the one Tommy Bow was referring to when he said Brian Driscoll called his men in. Uh, so Brian O'Driscoll is kind of pushed after the whistle. Yes. Not long. It's one of those things that happens all the time. Uh, it's Victor Matfield pushes him. O'Driscoll, <laughs> being the most insanely talented rugby player that exists, starts a fight in the most like show-offy way possible by backdoor reverse flicking the ball into Matfield's head. Uh, he does miss, mind you, but Matfield gets what's going on. There's a massive push and shove. Me- yeah. uh, Meanwhile, that's... whilst O'Driscoll's throwing that, Mike Phillips, being one of the most insanely talented fighters with McDonald's bouncers has ever been, walks yeah. over and shoves Victor Matfield because that's his way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. The thing that Mike Phillips as a scrum off was best at throwing was a tantrum, right? Yeah. So Mike Phillips really you know, goes for Matfield and tries to get in his head and everything, not realising Victor Matfield is hard as nails. But anyway, so that all happens. It's one of these things. It's one of the highest intensity rugby matches you will ever see. And the players walk away from each other. Burdos goes over to Bryce Lawrence and asks, hey, what's going on? Lawrence goes, don't worry, mate. Like, these things happen. Rugby incident. It's a push and a shove. Just don't do, don't, don't do anything. Um, just, just sort of give them a warning. And uh, Burdos goes, oh, okay, penalty. And uh, Lawrence goes, no, 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 no need for a penalty. Just, just, just give them a warning, you know, just sort of tell them off, say no more of that and get on with it. And Burdos then calls over both captains as well as O'Driscoll and Matfield and says, you, you start, you, you restart. It's a penalty. And, but both of the captains then kind of just looks at each other like, what's this guy on about? The penalty's given despite Lawrence advising not doing so. It's a bizarre moment of miscommunication. So, yeah, so Brian O'Driscoll is essentially penalised for pushing someone in the... being pushed in the back. Yeah. So I've got here with me uh, the conversation that uh, Burdos has with the captains and the referee. Okay. So, with the captains and O'Driscoll and... Uh, I love the look on the captain's faces when they're just like, what do you mean by that? First is you, but also is you, little fight, stop, penalty. This is where you need like one of those reaction gifts when someone's just won a rap battle. I'm just like, he's been told there, mate. (laughs) Little fight, stop. Uh, really good decision by IRB to um, appoint Christoph Burdos for this game. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So we move along. Uh, the Lions are playing a lot of rugby in this opening. 10 oh minutes. boy, they start this test match as well as anybody could. Like yeah. this is as good a first ten minutes as you'll see from any team in a test match of this quality. Like um, speaking There's... of uh, good appointments, Rob Carney, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yes! <laughs> 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 
What I, an imp- like literally five minutes in, I went. He's an improvement on Lee Byrne. I and there was think, another seventy-five minutes of him being world class. I think this is the best game Rob Carney ever plays in his life. I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think there's another player on this field who also has the best game they've ever played in their life, and we'll get to that as we go on. Sure. Yeah. But I think this is the best Rob Carney ever ever plays. He is unbelievably great. Yeah. Every high ball he takes seemingly is under enormous pressure and he yeah. literally catches every single one. He doesn't knock on a single ball, not a single handling error, despite the amount he had to take. He's towering over J.P. Peterson, who is like yeah. one of the greatest chasing wingers you will ever see. And he's also like hard as nails. Like he is an yeah. unbelievably tough winger and he is constantly just leaping above him and nicking the ball when he has absolutely no right to. So there's one where he, um, at the start where Carney catches the ball under pressure, spins out of contact, doesn't call the mark because he spots that mm. he just has to beat one defender, snakes through the South African defence, and then he sets up this this break that Tommy Bow makes eventually. He offloads to Gethin Jenkins, who has the yes. ball in space, which I imagine made you explode. And I was, I was hoping he'd do a chip and chase, but instead <laughs> he sells Francois Stein with the dummy, Attempts yeah. to offload, and it goes about 20 metres forward. But, you know, great moment of glory for Gethin regardless, yeah. uh, getting the ball in space. It was a lot of fun, but my God, Rob Carney's good. And yeah, Gethin very almost gets that right. He very, mm. very, very... He comes as close as any prop could have. Most props would have just barrelled through. He looked comfortable. You or know? panicked. Like, eventually yeah. he did make a mistake, but he looked comfortable uh, getting the ball yeah. in space. Tommy Bow is bloody good. Because when, when Bow makes that break, you think... Oh no, he's only got proper support. Then you remember it's Gethin Jenkins. Yeah, and think yeah. Anything could happen here, as you say. He could yeah. snap, drop, goal it. Um, but instead, we get yeah that that break. Uh, I said Tommy Bow has a like perfect game. There he's is no more anyone he? could have done from his position yeah. in every yeah. scenario he's in. He was constantly dealt really uncomfortable situations and just mm. making breaks off them, like yeah. or, or making good and tackles and stuff. Brian Haban has a very similar situation. Habana mm. is consistently given the ball too God, late Habana's or good. too early. Um, yeah. And there's nothing or in no on space, consistently. You know? yeah. Exactly. Always like, he's consistently forward. given the ball when there was space when the ball first came out of the ruck, but it's closed mm. down by the time it gets there. And he's Everybody. always making ground and making space and finding Everybody something. remembers Brian Habana as this like speedster who would just score tries from his 90 yards, which he was. But mm. he was so solid. like He would yeah. always make right decisions. He, he was a great passer of the ball. Uh, he would chase kicks fantastically. Never made mistakes in defence. Like he's just one of the. Is it weird to call him underrated when people call him one of the greatest wingers of all time? <laughs> I don't think it is, but Brian Habana was fundamentally a nuts and bolts winger. You know, yeah, um, right. But he who happened so to be faster fast, than a cheater? Yes, that he kind of elevated everything he did. Mm, um, yeah, that he was he was at heart like a Gonzalo Camacho, uh, Josh Adams type winger but who he grew up as know, a scrum off. Easy mm. to it's easy to forget that you know he grew up as a scrum off. So like his understanding of you know all situations on a rugby field are generally very good, but stuck to his thing of being a good winger. Yeah, yeah. I could whack lyrical about Brian Habana all day. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very, very easy to. And I think we've probably been fairly Lions-type biased so far. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah I recognise that. It's, it's nice to have a little go. But the Lions continue to build and build and build, and after a few fights, you know... It's up the Lions doing nice attack and then having a fight. And then the Lions doing nice attack and having a fight. Yeah, yeah. First 10 minutes. Uh, and they've won, yeah. and it's not the most promising attack they've had so far. But Simon Shaw makes a brilliant carry that really gets them like quick over the game line. Mm. They use the quick yeah. ball. Stephen Jones throws this phenomenal offload. Roberts makes a great carry as well yes. in the lead up. 
And Rob Carney said since that he had no idea that ball was coming out by Stephen Jones. He wasn't expecting it at all. Right, um, yeah. And he then kind of well, like bats it back into from one hand into the other and starts going. So the, what's brilliant about this offload by Stephen Jones, so it's one-handed out the right hand. Mm. And you rarely see Stephen Jones throwing those offloads, you yeah. know? And he manages to perfectly throw it as hard as he can so it goes quickly enough that it doesn't end up in the hands of Fabana and yeah. as low enough so it just evades the left hand of Fabana and lands perfectly into Rob Carney's mitts. And like as we've already touched upon, like Rob Carney's hands are just completely impeccable. And you say he just Belt jets thrust. off at this point. Yeah. So it's, again, just like perfectly executed by Carney. He goes, he yeah. drifts, like he drifts so far back in field, if you watch from the other angle, uh, that he turns it into a two-on-one when actually there's really no space mm. there. Um, yeah. Fran Stain then, once again, confuses Carney for Geffen Jenkins, drifts off him, and he's kind of like, Stuart Barnes says in commentary, he's wanting Carney to throw the pass to Bo. Mm. Uh, he doesn't throw it. Carney goes himself. JP Peterson gets across, makes actually a really, really good cover tackle, uh, but can't get under yeah. the ball. Carney grounds it, finishes it. The Lions go 8-0 up. Stephen Jones kicks the conversion with the touchline. 10-0 up. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, it's as good a first 10 minutes as you'll see. Like, uh, mm. And it's it's perfection from everyone involved, from Roberts to Stephen Jones to Carney to even Bo. Like, it's perfection from the Lions there. Yeah. I did watch those kind of first five minutes, and at five minutes 30, I jotted this down, uh, that a modern team would put six tries past South Africa by now. Um, yeah, I know, mean, I know what you mean. Because defense out very unevenly. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we are 45 minutes into this episode, and we have covered the first six and a half minutes. Yes, but we'll speed up from here. Yeah. So yes, the Lions then continue largely as they are for a bit, uh, yeah. and the Lions again feel completely on top. Um, but South Africa keep just having odd moments. Yeah, so there's there's one particular swinging moment, I mm. think, where uh, the Lions have a massive overlap and Gethin Jenkins doesn't pass the ball out the back and goes himself, gets done for holding on. John Smith turns him over. It's, uh, South Africa kick into the corner. Duplessis, sorry, yeah, you're right, Duplessis. South Africa kick to the corner and come up with a great line-out move. So, do, yeah. go on. So they go straight off the top. The lines are expecting more. They're very much crabbed in around that. Victor Matfield also does this kind of like fake out thing. Uh, that means yeah. that when Foy Dupree does come round, David Wallace at the tail, um, you know, stood in as the first tackle on the inside of the tent, yeah. is drawn straight in by him. Luke Fitzgerald does not come up properly. Uh, leaves a huge hole open for JPP to go right through. And obviously he's close enough to the try line. He can run round Ron Carney the long way and then take it in next to the post and make the conversion very, very easy for Ruin Peanut. Yeah, kick it his quality, you know. Yeah, he's uh, he's absolutely nailing that. Uh, you can then see, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, did you keep an eye on Stephen Jones as the try is scored? Nope. Stephen Jones starts absolutely bollocking Luke Fitzgerald. Really? Like, Stephen Jones is furious with him. Like Before the oh, try wow. is scored, he sees him go through and he turns to Fitzgerald and he starts shouting something and he starts pointing to where he should have been and then like he leaves it for a second then goes back and turns back to Fitzgerald and points again he's like, no, you really should have been here. And you know, mm. Stephen Jones was not a man who was easily flustered. You know, he's a no, very that, calm, that, composed... That was yeah, his whole thing. Yeah. He was a very calm, composed man. Um, yeah. And he, you know, still very much is as a coach. Um, but, yeah, he was furious with this joke so it was clearly like a wow. defensive misread by him like yeah he yeah yeah in that hole evidently the springboks did their homework brilliantly and clearly yeah. thought that's that's a space that would open up and for forward prayer is exactly the scrum off you want executing that move you know like the way that he he holds the ball to the very last second and peterson's line is exquisite man mm. like uh if you give peterson a one-on-one with the fullback and that much space to just beat him to the corner yeah. it's it's just, it's a done deal, you know? 
around this time as well, I'm not sure if it's just before or just after, I think it's just before, um, there is an unbelievable cross-kick by Fauri Dupria. Yes, so off the outside of his boot. Fauri Dupria goes for a cross-kick off the outside of his boot, right? As if anyone listening to this has ever tried to kick a rugby ball, you, like, almost, like... 99% of kicks, right? Probably high, 99.99999%, everything excluding this one kick and the one by uh, Juan Martin Fernandez. Hernandez. Most kicks off the outside of the boot are mistakes. Like, you're not aiming yeah, to yeah. hit that. Because it's almost impossible to aim the ball when you're yeah. hitting the outside of your boot, right? Typically, if you send the ball straight into touch, that's what you've done. Exactly. Like, you've just hit it completely wrong and the ball kind of bananas round. Yeah. Uh, Foy Debris does this deliberately and it lands straight in G.P. Peterson's hands. And there's no way... You can tell by his coming, ball drop. Cause, yeah. yeah the trajectory yeah yeah I watched that back as well just to check yeah like, yeah because Stuart Barnes through. questions whether it's deliberate yeah and I thought I, I thought it's got to be it's, it's got to be yeah. yeah yeah if it was anybody else I'd be questioning it but you look on the, the replay like he very deliberately dropped the mm. ball onto the other, outside of his right boot which is horrendously risky and so skillful carry on sorry yeah so it's just it's, it's one of the most unbelievable bits of skill you'll ever see yeah, he drops onto the outside of his boot, which should be impossible. And because I've never seen someone do a cross kick like that deliberately, none no. of the lines are kind of expecting the trajectory it takes because yeah. uh, it looks like a mistake. Like he's shaping for the corner, like isn't that, he? Yeah. If someone kicks like that, it's normally a mistake. Um, if I was stood, if I was stood in Luke Fitzgerald's position there, right, and I see Freud appear shaping the kick, I would turn my shoulders and and run for the corner flag. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thinking that's touchline. where the ball's yeah, going. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking at the touchline definitely. You know, I'd, you'd probably I'd head over the touchline and wait for it to come and try and you know run back in. From yeah. There. Um, yeah. Whereas instead, yeah, it goes straight into Peterson's hands and the Springboks get an attack out of it. Um, yeah, he and, does another inch perfect kick and forces Fitzgerald back for a scrum five, basically. Yeah. Miles Harrison says, "Look, we've talked about Miles Harrison and his wonders as a commentator a lot. In yeah, the past. love that guy. Uh, he says one of the most bizarre things." of his commentary career about Foy Dupria about this time. Foy Dupria, the man with cat-like qualities. Yes! He, he described never, him as feline in the second he half. He never explains what he means by cat-like qualities. Yeah. And then again in the second half, he says, once again showing his cat his feline qualities. I quite like so, that as a thing, though. Does that... Is that because before putting the ball into a scrum, he always drinks a saucer of milk? I always assumed it was because um, uh, he has nine lives. No, yeah. And he wears nine um, on his back. He loves I ams. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he plays scrum off because he's so used to chasing balls of wool and he just likes having yeah. the ball there all the time? Yeah, yeah. Do you it's, know what the Lions uh, should have done in that second half, right? Because they didn't have a scrum off on the bench. They should have just got a laser pointer in the stadium and just shone it on the ground and he would have chased it out of the ground <laughs> and just sent him into like a nearby river and waited. That would have been great because that either would have disproven Miles Harrison's point or the Lions would have won the game. Yeah. Win-win situation. You've got one over the greatest rugby commentator of all time or you win. (laughs) Sorry, Bob McLaren. Yeah. Yeah, there's also around this time as well, Brian Habana makes an incredible intercept on a great Lions attack, like really Mm. well read. And right. Normally, you'd look at that and go, one is up by Habana, but you go, what? Like, the great read in that situation is Tommy Bow to read that Habana's going to intercept it. Yeah. And, come in and, and make he just try blocks him. Yeah. yeah. Like, as he's catching the ball, he makes a try saving yeah. tackle. If yeah. anyone else is on that wing, Habana scores. Yeah. Because right? he reads it perfectly. Uh, but Bow is such a good winger himself 
that he reads that her banner is going for it is going to beat him to the ball sure. and gets into position to make the tackle instead of bothering yeah. on the ball at all. Yeah. So the, the South Africa get a penalty out of that and Francois Stein goes from 50 yards and mm. narrowly misses. So the score is 13 5 at this narrowly. point. Forgot to mention Ruin uh, Pienaar missed the uh, conversion of Peter's. Oh, yeah, Ruin Pienaar missed the. Um, yeah, right next to the post. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's 13 5 to the Lions at this point. Uh, when and the Lions have now got on top from... in the scrum as well. Um, yeah, that's point. very important. That Adam Jones kind of tames the um, beast for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, which is so and unexpected. There's a few scrums that I think nowadays the team would absolutely leave in a milk a penalty and they just played them out there because we were kind yeah. of in kind of in the early days of teams going for scrum penalties as a tactic yeah i know what you mean kind of only caught on a couple of years before that before this yeah it was one of those things that hadn't quite been mastered wasn't mm. it and now we're sort of going back out of that uh trend because people tend to go for a line out even in mid when the, the penalties in midfield a little bit more yeah yeah, no, that is an interesting thing, the science of scrum penalties. Or even, I suppose, tap penalties people are going for now, I suppose. But yeah, no, you're right. Um, uh, but when Adam Jones first won a penalty over the beast, it was like, mm. oh, that's what that feels like. Uh, Adam Jones in the week had made had been asked about the beast and if he was mm. worried about facing him after what he did to Phil Vickery. And he, in that very Adam Jones way, just went, no, not really. And then they kind of asked him, like, oh, do you want to elaborate on that? He said, well, he's been playing tight for three years. I've been playing... For, uh, no, he's been losing for three years. I've been playing tight for 15 years. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not worried about anything he's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he's um, been a number eight before that. And it's converted. Yeah, of course. You know, as a teenager. Yeah. So there's a point... Where, oh, yeah, J.P. Peterson nails Rob Carney after he's kicked the ball. Yes. Gets penalised for it. Carney attempt to drop goal from halfway just for Bantz. I uh, love this, right? <laughs> It's never on. It's never going to come off. I know he gets one a few... I think it's the next time Lenser win the uh, Heineken Cup. Yeah, yeah. He got one this. against Claremont he, from yeah, 50 yeah, yards. Yeah, um, yeah. Similar position. Right. I know yeah. he's got it in his locker. He was never going to get this. And no. I know it's at altitude as well and he's got a big boot and everything. Yeah, he was never yeah. going to get this. But I want my fullback to be so high on confidence with everything having gone so well <laughs> yeah, for him in the first sure. 20 minutes that he goes, yeah, yeah I can do a 50-meter drop goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can just yeah. get a drop goal from my own half. Yeah, who gives a shit? Um, there are times where so I'd nonchalant. hate that, but I love from there because he he had nothing to lose, you and know. It was... It's not like he was going to stem a great counter-attack from there. Yeah. If it was any other player on the team, if it was even if Stephen Jones had like a 15-metre longer range than he does, mm-hmm. you know, or if it was Ronan Agar or anyone, you know. If it was Lee Byrne, who also had a huge boot, and I've seen hit drop goals from a long way, I would have been kind of frustrated by it. But it being yeah. this fullback who was having the game of his life, and yeah, he's so high nowhere. on confidence, he just does it just to see if sure. it will happen. You know, to see yeah. if I'm going to have like a hundred percent perfect game or a ninety-nine percent perfect game. Yeah, and he instead he misses it. But I—that's what I want my fullback doing. I want sure. my fullback in that position, looking so baller that he's going for that. I then have written down "catching filth" by Carney. Yes, <laughs> because he pulls off a few like insane catches where the ball is seemingly between his legs and he's still catching it. Like, oh man. He's it's like an all-time AFL tribute package. He is genuinely the greatest fullback under the high ball I've maybe ever seen. Like, he, yeah, uh, he's certainly he's up, up there. there. Yeah. So Jamie Roberts in the air catching the ball in it. Ah, nice. Jamie Roberts makes a really good read tackle on Pinar, where he smothers him, mm. opens up a gap for Brian O'Driscoll to make a breakdown turnover, and then the Lions get attacking opportunity. I just have Bod, what a pass to Luke Fitzgerald. Oh, so Bod man. runs like an inward angle and manages to, without looking, flip the ball on the outside to Fitzgerald. So just give him acres of space. And like Space wasn't a thing that was really seen in this game, especially on the outside of 
JP Peterson. Mm. But Fitzgerald has acres there. Feeds it back inside to Bard, uh, having drawn in the fullback. And Ruan Pinar, man, like he works back like about 30 yards and manages to sprint to keep up with Bard and mm. scythes him down on what was definitely a try scoring opportunity. Like when Fitzgerald had the ball, you thought, oh, they're definitely good. You know, they have to score here. But Pinar mm. cuts off that space in such an insane manner. Ruan Pinar has an interesting game because I think he's excellent in defence. Like, there's a yeah. few moments of really, really good, smart defending. Yeah. Uh, he has a complete mare kicking-wise, and yeah. he contributes very, very little with the ball. Um, like yeah. Point, Stuart Barnes brings it up that he's just not sprinting on the ball, he's just catching and then passing it on to someone mm, else. Like, sure. he's not adding anything. No Which was kind of his way as a 10, you know? And that, yeah, that's, yeah. That's not a bad thing as far, as far as I'm concerned, but I think there were... The, the point... The game came to a point where they wanted that point of attack to change, you know? Yes. And obviously they did that, and obviously we'll, we'll come on to that. Uh, but you're right, Pienaar had a very up and down and middling game all at once. Yes. Yeah. And you so, yeah, anyway. get why there was frustration with him. Sure, yeah. So anyway, they, they carry on attacking. There's another point where... So they go back to the blind side where Fitzgerald's still on the left wing, and he has about... Mm. He has about three inches to work with. And Rob Carney somehow just holds the ball up and just pops it up to him perfectly and somehow draws in about five spring box. So Fitzgerald makes it's another break. Another moment of the opposition going, well, this guy's absolutely having one. This guy yeah. is, is on one. We're going to mark him. And he just flicks it to Fitzgerald. And I think it's the only pass he throws in the entire game. But yeah, 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 pretty what much. What a pass to throw. And then the Lions have a great string of attack. They go in feel yeah. a little bit. Uh, I think at one point Phillips has a little snipe, which goes quite well. Um, and then eventually, as soon as uh, as soon as it stops looking like they're making significant yards, Stephen Jones just drops into the pocket and takes a drop goal. And I love yeah. that. Like Brilliant. that is a team high on confidence, going, "Yeah, we're going to cash in." You know? Yeah. Bingo. And they take three points, go sixteen five up. What a great option that is. That's one of the most I... delightful drop goals you'll see. I just wish more teams would do this. I don't know why this hasn't become a pretty exact yeah. science. And I wonder like, if it as soon as you take a phase backwards, you know, yeah. you can cash in and take three points. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of teams like that, like like the current Ireland team, for example. Yeah, they will always stick with an attack, especially like they've got a penalty advantage or something. Yeah, and eventually something jammy might pay off for them, and they'll get five points out the back of it. But and the way the Stephen other... Jones just goes three points is a, is a great result from this attack. We'll take it. The other thing that you're losing is you know, the kind of time and pressure and soak-up value of just having the ball and how yeah. difficult it is on an opposition, you know, to be making sure. stress tackles constantly. Yeah. But, I, you know, I get that and I get, you know, unless it's the last three minutes or so and you're already, you know, how many other points ahead? One point up or something, whatever. Mm-hmm. Is three points not more valuable, you know? At the end, it's not sure. stress tackles that win it. And I, I don't know, I love drop goals. I think drop goals should be more involved. And uh, as anyone who has witnessed my... Um, my rugby union manager free save where I took Nottingham to the Premiership. We survived our first season, finished 10th in the Premiership, and then I got fired um, despite building a squad, and it was hugely frustrating. But I did a lot of that on knowing when to press the button to say, make your team go for drop goals all the time now. You know, I went to be patient with that and wait for that and make that work. And I think that is most of the strategy in the game. Uh, or at least it was for me. Um, I'm now in charge of Munster, by the way. Uh, I got nice. fired by Nottingham, and I'm now coaching Munster. In real life, this uh, is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had yeah. Antoine Dupont. Uh, and I decided cool. to put the game to a side for a bit. Cool. So, uh, from the kickoff, Habana kills Tommy Bow casually. Yeah. And then, there's this persistent problem, right, with Mike Phillips, where he's mm. never at the base of rucks. 
No. He's he is constantly either carrying the ball himself or getting too distracted by someone like Baki's Borta. And I think this is a big part of why the Springboks are so in this game is because they they nailed getting to, into Mike Phillips's head. Mm. And like Luke Fitzgerald was having to play about thirty percent of rucks at nine. Uh, him or Tommy Bow or Adam yeah. Jones. Adam Jones did a dive pass at one point. It's it's and in- incredible. This very ruck. So does Luke Fitzgerald. Yeah, Luke Fitzgerald goes for the so he starts on his knees and then does a dive pass from there. It's really Which uncomfortable, isn't, really isn't it? Really a dive pass. Yeah, yeah. So they go with a Fitzgerald nine, Roberts ten halfback combination for this phase, and Jamie Roberts kicks I... the ball out on the full. Yeah, it made me wonder why they haven't done this more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from inside is 22. Like, if one of those was the correct halfback, that wouldn't have happened. No. But instead you've got Fitzgerald and Roberts, who both look so uncomfortable with the whole situation. And it's mental, because you never see that now. You would just see the winger just go, OK, I'm just going to take this in, wait for Phillips to get to his feet, and then we'll actually organise ourselves from yeah. there. But instead, Roberts kicks out in the full. Luckily they get away with it. The Lions get a free kick from the line-out. And then Franz Stein gets... Yeah. Uh, the chance to go for goal from an obstruction 55 metres out. Where at the time uh, when it was given, I wondered why they weren't going down the line. Then I remember they changed the laws since then and mm. they couldn't because it was an option because it was full time. You know, yeah. Well, half time was gone. It was 40 minutes. It was up and Yeah, of course. So say. it was one of those where it's just like, well, we might as well go for it from here. And because in these know, first two games, Stain has been missing a Rodriguez level amount of long range shots. Sure. But it's still terrifying every time he goes for one. Because he yes. actually, the difference between him and someone like Rodriguez is Francois Stein's meterage is probably about 65, 67 uh, is, is probably his range. Martin Rodriguez was about 21. Yes. And he was attempting is, them from halfway. Those also weren't played at altitude. Um, yeah. And Martin Rodriguez is also crap. So, yeah. you know. But there is something interesting about this era of Franz Stein because much like Martin Rodriguez in that period, uh, Fran Stein has like a a kind of like Parise Rico Ioani level ego to him at this stage mm. of his career. You know, having become the youngest player to ever win a World Cup, having been drafted yeah. straight to play fullback for the Lions series. Fran Stein has ego with everything he does. He's like, I'm the biggest guy. I'm the quickest guy. I can pass. I can kick the ball from 99 meters. Look at me. I'm so hot all the time. Uh, and it's exhausting to watch. And it leads to him drifting off and trying to make huge shots on a lot of players and mm, you know, letting sure. people go by him like Carney for the try, like Gethin Jenkins uh, for the greatest moment of rugby of all time. And yeah, it's sort of, you know, uh, he grew out of it, Franz Stein, but he grew yeah. out of it by spending a lot of time in France being battered by fat second row. <laughs> sure, and then still inexplicably nailing drop goals from the halfway line. Yeah. So he nails this kick and the Lions go in 16-8 up at halftime. Uh, and you think that is a, an amazing half by the Lions, you know, against yeah. this quality of opposition. Like, you will take any lead, let alone an eight-point lead. And it's at this point, it kind of felt like South Africa were lucky to be in the game, in a way, because mm. the Lions were very much the team on top. I guess it's kind of the flip side of last week's game, you know, that the Lions didn't yeah, deserve yeah. to be really in it at all. Uh, and this time, the Springboks feel like the lucky team. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yes. Uh, the second half then kicks right off and very much continues as it previously was. Um, incredibly high spirit stakes everything yeah and skill level by rob carney yes rob carney covering every blade of grass yeah um, doing good no fun yes i thought to myself watching the first few minutes of that half there is no way i would ever bring martin williams on for this game yeah that's a good point physical and violent that it wouldn't suit someone just being a cheeky little prick i was gonna say like you you want proper uh gruff shitaldery rather than cheeky shitaldery exactly Never has a game suited Vincent Rattas less. Yes. And never has a game made me go, you know what? Paul James would be great in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, why don't we bring you know on Jason that... Leonard? Yeah. You know in that way, Paul James wants just, when the referee wasn't looking, punch his opposite number out. Yes. <laughs> like, he was, so what, he was getting dominated by Perry Freshwater and then just decided, I'm having enough of this, and then just <laughs> knocks him, him out. in the face that had his number for the rest of the game. <laughs> Look, that's the guy I want. A, scrummaging for me, but B, serving my coffee. If I yeah, absolutely. Live because he is, after all, a, a, a male Welsh ex-international rugby player. Yes. Therefore, he has a coffee shop. Uh, so the second half starts. As I say, Rob Carney puts in a really good kick. Um, yeah. And then the box just start to really make ground efficiently. And you think, oh, no, they're in this game. No, we don't like this. No, start, stop they attacking start to get well. on top, don't they? Brian just and the Lions start to panic. Tackle, but they, yeah. yeah, they then, st- it's kind of forced, you know, that they've opened mm. them up a bit and Bod's forced to come sure. in and smash someone. Yes, and then we get to the point just after that tackle where at the time, right, this stoppage lasts about five and a half minutes, which was a really long stoppage in 2009, uh, but was below average in 2021 because you have Brian O'Driscoll is down, Adam Jones is down, Gethin Jenkins is down. And Jamie Roberts is down. And, sorry, and Jamie Roberts is down. Jamie Roberts gets up first. He's the first one to say he's okay. Yeah. Gethin at this point has already gone off of blood once uh, and Andrew Sheridan has come on for him. And then, yeah, we're left in the situation where both Lions props have to go off at the same time in the 46th minute. Yeah. So Adam Jones, it's horrible the injury. So it's Backy's bought and nails him in a ruck, basically. Mm. And Adam Jones's shoulder is exposed, and Backy's Butter flies yeah. in, and it is legal. The, what Backy's Butter does, yeah. it's it, horrible, but it's, it's legal. Completely reckless, but it's not a le- You know, it's yeah, like you really a... look at it and try and find a way to penalise it, like as a Lions fan. Yeah, but you can't. Like I... it's. I think it's one of those where I understood the um, the ban that you got for it. Sure, because it opposed uh, rugby values, of course. Yes. So he was he was banned for it being a shoulder charge. Um, South African rugby, and I'm sure you remember this, but it's you know again this is part of the whole reason Twitter would have been so horrible. Yeah. The you know Peter Davili is also after the game after saying Burger's action shouldn't have been penalised. It was nothing in it. It shouldn't have been a yellow card or a penalty. I uh, then went yeah. on to say that Backy, you know. 
when he was cited, said Baki's boat had done absolutely nothing wrong. And South African rugby issued a statement saying that Bota's ban uh, was a textbook clear out. Uh, and they launched an appeal after Bota was banned for two weeks for this. This, As you say, it's, a, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's not a penalty, but it is dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong, me, me sticking up for Bota a minute ago, I totally get why this is given, mm. you know, because it is horrible to look at. And you can't help but feel like in the best way possible... Backy's Borter was trying to hurt Adam Jones there, you yes. know, because yeah. it's Backy's Borter. It's what what he was literally born to do on a rugby field was hurt people, you know. This one is maybe slightly more violent than a lot of the other ways Backy's Borter has hurt people on rugby mm. pitches before, because he, he's just he's a big bastard, you know, Backy's yeah. Borter, and was the the best at being that. He is to this day the one who is quoted as sort of the enforcer type lock the model of that. Yeah. Um, and so in the, in the Springboks next match after the Lions tour, okay, no, oh no, it was, it was, it was the third test, test it was wasn't it? Test. It was the third yeah. test. They came out with the justice for, justice for Backy's armbands, didn't they? Yes. Over the fact that, you know, he was banned unfairly, they felt. Um, mm. They'd already won the series, so who gives a shit? Um, yeah. You know, and it's a pretty daft thing. Uh, you know what we said last week about Phil Vickery being a great lad? Yeah. Phil Vickery said before that third test in the week between the second and third that he shouldn't be he shouldn't have been banned for it, uh, and then oh, he really? got silly. Adam Jones said after the tour back. This is the quote: uh, "Bota shouldn't be banned for it. No one there. I don't have any complaints. He just cleared me out the ruck and I got caught. Everyone counteracts nowadays. If anything, I was in the wrong place. He just hit me and I was unlucky." Yeah, uh, which I think it pretty much sums it up. As I say, it's like yeah, it's, it's yeah. reckless rather than anything else. I don't think there's anything in it. I don't. Sure. Like, I, sure. I went again, checked it back live, you know, because you've obviously seen the other angles since, and I don't think there's a penalty. I won't go around pretending Backy's boss should get sent off for this, you know. No, but also I wouldn't go around saying just for Backy's this is so unfair. We're so hard done. Agreed. Man. Agreed. Um, that is a stretch too far. Nowadays, there would have been an hour-long video by Yako Johan on yeah why Backy's boat actually doesn't eat children. Is a nice lad. Yeah, or maybe Jack John, the Lions equivalent, um, talking yes. about how um, the referee uh, has bottled it. Um, you bottle us, yeah. get, get yeah. us. <laughs> so anyway, Adam Jones goes off. This is the turning point. The Adam Jones, who has been, dare I say, tearing the beast a new one in the scrum, yeah. goes off, and he has been we know that twelve years on him. He's our only hope here, Adam Jones, <laughs> to get a penalty out of every single scrum, but instead. They have to go to uncontested scrums because both Lions props have gone off. So Alan Wynne-Jones has to come on as a makeshift prop. It's Simon Shaw who actually steps forward and goes to the front of the scrum. And you know what? That's correct. That's the way it should be. Simon Shaw should be playing as an uncontested tight head. Yes. And uh, so the, the Lions have a bit of a reshuffle. They neglect Ross Ford as an actual front rower and bring on Alan Wynne mm. instead. And you know what? Yeah, fair play to Simon Shaw for stepping up. Uh, so uncontested scrums so no more penalties for either team off the back of it yeah you also end up in the situation where when i was watching this game back the skip 10 seconds button is often quite useful in stoppages and suddenly you realize you're skipping the entire scrum because uncontested scrums mm, so yeah much yeah quicker. it's like the amount of times i like you know you look when you look down at your phone or whatever and you yeah, realize yeah. players already started because the referee just kind of goes all right on you go rather than crouch by yeah, and set and or whatever just, goes in they also the lions move tom croft to number eight once he goes to uncontested oh really rather than jamie heaslip yeah yeah clock that i can't tell you why you know but carry no yeah the carries and so on i'll have to think about that as a a very deeply deeply. yes about uh, that because i know 
having played at amateur second team level, mm. I know that there is a science to um, how you adapt to uncontested scrums, you know, and right, putting yeah, somebody yeah. at number eight. And like watching the Bermuda Classic a couple of years ago, mm. I clocked that Italy played Martin Castrogiovanni's at number eight because scrums are uncontested, you know, because right. he's a big lad who can, he can't, He's not got pace, but he's got a decent pop pass on him, you know? Yeah, And yeah. when you're playing at a level with uncontested scrums, they're kind of the skills you need as a number eight. So, yeah, I, that's interesting. About <laughs> key, that is. key attributes for a number eight, right? Big carrier, able to control the ball at the back of a scrum, has been partying with supermodels in Ibiza for the yeah. last three years since he retired from rugby. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's no, that's I interesting. Think. I hadn't clocked that about Tom Croft, but, yeah. So, uh, Matthew Reese does a high tackle. There's a thing, yes. and that, as I say, uh, like it's properly grabs him by the throat, throws him at the floor, would be a nailed on red with card force. And a long ban. Yeah, like, with with a lot of force, he tries to rip his head off. Again, that's Matthew like a Reece three does. four month ban at this point. Matthew Reese spares him in the end, yes. but yeah, that's pretty bad. There's a point where Simon Shaw is caught offside, so there's a charge down that Andrew Sheridan makes. Mm. Shaw is offside; he's in front of the charge down, and then sort of casually toes the ball on, thinking. Has the referee seen me here? And then eventually, so I think it's Peterson slips over mm. and Shaw just sees the ball in front of him and she thinks, I'm just going to commit to this penalty and just boots it to the try line yeah. and gets penalised. <laughs> Having like gingerly walked towards the ball, wondering whether or not to commit to this penalty. And eventually he just goes, you know what? Just get that penalty against my name. Should we talk about Simon Shaw? Let's do it. He's class, isn't he? So, yeah, Simon Shaw, the oldest man to ever make his debut for the Lions, 35 years of age, older than Alan Wynne-Jones is now. Yeah. This was Simon Shaw playing his first test for the Lions. Yeah. Obviously, he hadn't been on the Lions until 12 years early to South Africa as well in 97. Mm -hmm. Simon Shaw, in this game, is a bit like, you know when, you know when, like, you're coming towards the end of your phone's life cycle before you place it, before you have to get an upgrade or something, Yeah, yeah. And the charge is starting to go on it, right? And yeah. it still works, but you charge it, <laughs> you put it into charge, right? It charges to 100% in like three minutes, right? Yeah. But then it runs out of steam really quickly, like after, you know, sure. 10 minutes of YouTube videos. Right? Yeah. That is Simon Shaw in this game. Simon Shaw is, he will do some, he will do this like unbelievable second row shit, you know, like he will do literally everything you want. He'll make that incredible carry in the lead up to the uh, Rolkani try. He'll make a charge down a few minutes later after that. Uh, he'll, you know, take basically every line out the Lions need. He'll, you know, every kickoff, everything. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. in this game, Simon Shaw did all of the good stuff that you wouldn't feel the need to bring up on a podcast where you're covering the game yes. twelve years later. Exactly, exactly. Which is the problem with it, right? Simon Shaw do ev- literally be everywhere. Like I, I started doing this after a while of any time the ball in the game isn't like a close-up of the crowd or something, mm-hmm. looking to see if you could, if there were any frames where you couldn't spot Simon Shaw on screen. And I think there was like two in the time I was doing that. I think there sure. was like once a winger made a break and that was the only time you couldn't see Simon Shaw on screen. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was absolutely everywhere. He would then, at the next stoppage, fall on the floor in a heap and like he would always look knackered then the moment the referee blew the whistle back on he would having like recharged fully in the space of those kind of like 40 seconds out he would get back up and do it all again yeah he was unbelievable but also you feel like he probably couldn't have gone if they didn't have a handful of stoppages every so often sure Um, yeah i know simon shaw in this game was the first time stephen jones the idiot stephen jones not the fly off stephen jones the you know, mm-hmm. I've got a million billion awards, and I've you know, da, 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 da. yeah, he's blocked me on Twitter. I can just refer to him as the idiot Stephen Jones. Yeah, yeah, Stephen yeah. Jones. Sorry, that's why I should have referred yeah. to him. And this was the first time he ever gave a ten in player ratings. Uh, mm. With Simon Shaw in this game, and I don't think 
I don't think I can disagree with that much. When I said there's another player I think has the best game of their career, I think Simon Shaw has the best game of his yeah. life in this game. Yeah, there's a really touching interview that Graeme Simmons does him after the game. Mm. I think we'll, we'll cover, the, cover that later okay. on, but... Yeah, you know the one I want about. No, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Okay, okay. So it's it's a really poignant moment. So yeah. Simon Shaw, let's spoil it. He's the official man of the match in this game. Yeah. Because he works his socks off in his first lines test. You can tell how much it means to him. This being twelve years in the making, mm. and he is so dejected in the post match interview that Graeme Simmons is really trying to lift his spirits. And Graeme Simmons is asking really good questions, like trying to engage him. And Simon Shaw just can't give answers. Like he's trying to be decent about yeah. it, but he just kind of says, "Like, I'm, I'm you know, sorry. Like, he I'm is, not a Lions Test Series winner. You know, that's he is all that matters to me." Completely emotionally and physically spent. Like, yeah, that is that is a man who was given absolutely everything he has. I said both physically and emotionally, and lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and. Yeah, I mean, his first question is, you know, Simmons' first question is something like, you know, they say big boys don't cry, but do you feel like it right now? And Shaw goes, yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> and he's and he does at the trying end of, not to cry. Yeah, At the end of the interview, he does let a tear out, bless him. And Graeme Simmons says, Shawsy, I know that you said you don't care about playing well as long as you mm-hmm. win. I've seen you play a lot, of, a lot of games for Wasps, big Heineken Cup matches, and I've seen you play a lot of time for England. That is by far the best game I've ever seen you play. Which is quite a spine-tingling moment to yeah. hear Simmons saying that. And his face. Simon Shaw's response, and I have this written down, was, I just would have liked to have won. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? And then Graeme Simmons goes in for a really awkward hug. Yeah, <laughs> which almost, like, I get it from Simmons' point of view, but Shaw is not into that. Yeah. I'm aware that we've spoken about that midway through the second half when we've not actually revealed the uh, thing of the game there. But basically, that was all a big Australia win there. somehow. Yeah. This is all a big bit that uh, yeah. Simon Shaw's a doing. Big cool bit. To, to, to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To um, try and like piss off the South Africans by pretending that his team lost. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That's the Lions' tactic that they worked out in advance. Even if you've lost. scribbled on a whiteboard somewhere. That was I would probably love to Clive, see a that team was Clive do Woodward's that. tactics in 2005, right? We're going <laughs> to pretend that we've lost every test and every game have been the most useless and hateful Lions team in history. And then everyone will be so annoyed that the All Blacks just won't bother turning up for the third test and will win it. Yeah. Um, what he didn't consider I... was that they will actually be the most hateful and stupid Lions team. Yeah, in time. yeah. I, I think Clive Woodward's tact- uh, Clive Woodward, who has blocked me on Twitter, I will have you know. Oh, um, no, Clive Woodward, yeah, I know. Uh, Clive Woodward's tactic was probably just to analyse the not counting score before the game. <laughs> I mean, we, can, we look. Someday we'll come to 2005, and we Maybe, will both have a lot to say on Clive Woodward. Do you think um, when Felipe Contepomi dropped that goal when his team were losing and thought it was the winning one, mm. do you think that was what he was doing? He just went and then told all his mates <laughs> just, that he slotted yeah. the winning drop goal. In so uh, actually, uh, you know, I got this uh, really good uh, hit of serotonin when uh, I kicked the ball, it went through the post, and I was like, yes, we're winning. I'm, Ask I no more questions. we both worked out, right? If you do anything with confidence, people will just go with it, right? Like, I am actually not very good at literally everything, right? But there are certain things I've learned to pretend I have confidence in, like talking about rugby on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. People, people as far as that goes, I can relate. accept it. Right, I go. Yeah, well, uh, if you look at it, the um, the bloody Scotland are playing a one-three-two-two. They don't know that I've just pulled three random numbers and tried to work out what they had up. I to. don't even know their numbers. Like, I don't I, know what they are. 
I I know that. I know that because I, I can count to six. I do often have it when there's there's a, there's lovely people who will read my articles or listen mm. to this podcast or whatever and go like, oh yeah, I like this guy. And I just think like, if only you knew how crap at rugby I really am. <laughs> Yes. Like if you ever saw oh, me play, man. you would not like. You would not be saying that. Yeah, I mean, look, there are people who've played touch with us that listen to this podcast. There's one guy yeah. who commented once saying, "Like, oh, thanks for helping me up off the ground when I played touch with you last week." And I'm like, "Oh no, oh no!" I didn't realize that was happening. So Again, I, because... I, I, I had it a few months mm. ago. I, I doubt he's listening, but uh, I won't say his name. But one of my coaches sort of said, "Like, oh, you're everywhere now, man. Like, fair play to you." And I was like. <laughs> Shit, he's seen like some of our stuff. Like I hate yeah. that. Like he he's my coach. He he is very aware of how crap at rugby I am. So he must look at that and just think like, oh, this guy's winging it, you well, know. Like, okay, and he's so, a professional rugby player as well. Like so, oh, man. someone who has worked as a coach to a to professional head coach team standard, right? To like yeah. Premiership, Pro fourteen, Top fourteen standard. Yeah. Recently, in the last five years, yeah. um, has previously messaged me to tell me how great my insight is as a, you know, whatever, and how like whatever, and but and I can't help but always feel that says more about you if you're thinking this guy is just watching it on TV. Sure, like I yeah, suddenly yeah. worry about what's that guy teaching his team if I yeah, know yeah. Or I know enough that he's impressed by my insight. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. not like like Razi Erasmus is like oh he's he's loosely starting to keep up with you know whatever we're doing. Sure, yeah, you know? and I suppose and that is that is part of what makes it good. You know that like you know what you do is you kind of bring it to the level of yeah, the, the yeah. casual audience. You know, uh, and th- that's that's why you've done well out of it, but. You're right that sometimes when there's because like we are we're we're and guys who I watch rugby. You know, I don't think it's just imposter syndrome. Like I genuinely, and maybe this is you know. Yeah, no, no, no. Like podcast, but <laughs> this I sounds think... like I'm dissing you, but I no, agree no, no, with no, because no, I completely agree. Like I yeah. don't feel like I should be in the and I'm in the same I'm boat. In, as an you know, expert, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe an expert in terms of the fact that like I remember about games that you know the scarlets played in 2009 or whatever sure you know? yeah um but like when i memories of joa Dewa. when um, i listen but... to professional rugby players talk to each other mm. it's a different language like yes yeah it's insane yeah, we should I probably stop exposing how um bad at our jobs we secretly are yeah i hope no one listens to this um, yeah me too we anyway definitely not put this out as a podcast um, where were we in terms of the game it feels like a while since we last spoke about that uh, Simon Shaw. We're talking about Simon Shaw. Oh um, yeah, he's good. Uh, anyway, um... so yeah, we also start to see more of the. Um, we start to see more and more of Ab Jacobs. Like he really grows into the game as he goes. Mm, he does, doesn't he? Um, yeah, he, he throws some really good passes. Even played. Yeah, but yeah, he yeah. Plays very well in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He throws a few nice little passes, and he did that thing of being a bit of a foil, knowing he has basically the two fastest wings in the world outside him. And giving yeah. them as much time as the, as possible, uh, and yeah, he played well. And then he actually stays on for the full eighty, doesn't he? So it's De Villiers yeah, that yeah. they bring off for De for off. Yeah, he so no, you're as right. Because well, like, yeah, you've got Brian O'Driscoll and Carney start to slot in his extra kicking options. Yeah, yeah, O'Driscoll uh, increasingly well. in the second half. Yeah, O'Driscoll does. another good game. Uh, not yeah, to the tier of like phenomenalness he was the previous week, but sure. very good game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's. Interesting. There's a point where I have written down. 56 minutes. Lads, stop kicking to contest with Rob Carney. He's dope. 
Like, <laughs> there's a point. Surely there comes a point where you think, let's try and kick it behind Carney rather than let's put him up for a contest with Jacob Peterson yeah. because Carney's won literally every single one. Like every Carney, single one. every single yeah, one. and like that's not an exaggeration. Ball he goes up for yeah. And there are high balls that, like, Luke Fitzgerald or Tommy Bow are going for that Carney wins anyway. Yes! Like, he just sort of materialises so, and takes it. Yeah, there's one where literally Carney is not in the frame. And there's two yeah. South Africans and two Lions jumping for a ball. And Carney leaps in from off the screen, takes it, does a 180, like, horizontally, and still comes up with the ball. And Stuart Barnes makes a hella involuntary noise. <laughs> yes he does it's really quite insightful into him and Miles Harrison's private life so uh, yes I know exactly what I'm feeling and I stand by it so yeah so there's a <laughs> I ship Bonds and Marison. of Harrison mate 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 I absolutely do what a big cool pairing they'd make so there's an awful lot starting to go the Springboks way Bismarck yeah. Duplessis makes a couple of turnovers yeah he then after the Springboks win a really crucial penalty about 30 metres out uh, which would be very kickable. Uh, he also goes for a stupid quick tap, but you know, mm-hmm. you, no one's perfect. Uh, he also plays 80 minutes, so fair play to him. Yeah. The Springboks, the only two substitutions they, they don't make are Carsons and Ralapelli when they change their bench up yeah. to go 5 2. That's interesting. And then they don't bring either the front rows on. Um, but there we go. But yeah, so this is the game is starting to become more level uh, after there's two quite interesting things happen about the same time. One is they bring on, at the same time, Mornay Stain and Jacques Ferry. Uh, Ruin Pienaar yes. and John de Villiers, as we mentioned, go off. A lot was made of the fact this was Mornay Stain's home ground. He had previously in the season, obviously the Bulls went on to win Super Rugby this year, and Stain had been the key player, he was you know, the player of the season for them. Uh, he had in the semi-final against the Crusaders, who were the previous year's champion of Super Rugby, and kind of, you know, the dominant team, the Dan Carter, Richie McCall, Kieran Reed era Crusaders. Uh, he had dropped four goals in the semi-final, and, you know, that was described as the match of the season by Miles Harrison, not realising this would be a game that we talked about for probably 20 years that it was coming sure. at the time. Yeah, yeah. So he comes on just after uh, Stephen Jones gets a penalty, and go, mm. they go 19-8 up. So they've got a lead to chase here, like a significant one. And so this is, this is then the point that you discussed earlier where Brian just puts that tackle on Danny Rousseau, which mm. makes both of their heads spin. And then... <laughs> Danny Moses' head already spinning. Yeah, of course. And then Heinrich Rousseau comes on as well. And like... Yeah. To, 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 to do a little bit of a spoiler, Heinrich Rousseau playing 20 minutes is in round of the match contention for me. <laughs> he, he is insanely good. He is just... Because of how many sort of breaks away from international rugby he had, hmm. he is kind of by proxy one of the most underrated flankers in the history of international rugby. Like, he is he is an insanely good bastard of a player. Like, he is nasty. Heinrich Brasseau seemed to only play when it really, really counted. Yeah, yeah. right? Like he only played the huge games and he always stepped right up to them. Again, yeah. this was, what, his third cap? third cap and he's just relentlessly world class and he just looks like a mega prick doesn't he <laughs> yes he does like he's in the got, best way possible he's got the face of if you try to mold a prick out of clay yeah exactly because like he is he is so scary to look at like even yeah. just facially he is terrifying uh, mm. and that's before you look at him making tackles and turnovers oh man I could wax lyrical about him for a long time again. I'm repeating myself a lot here. I'm just going to pick up the point I just made, right? Most yes. of Heinrich Brousseau's caps came in 2009. He won oh, wow. He won almost about half of his caps in 2009. Wow. 
So that was the only year where he played consistently every single game. He then disappeared for two games, played in the Rugby Championship um, and the World Cup in 2011. Was mm. extremely good in both of those. Makes that chip okay. over the top as well. Yeah, of course. And then disappears from international rugby for four years and is recalled uh, to play again, play in the World Cup that year. Right, okay. So, as I said, he just pulled it out for the big moments. You know, he only turned up and played in huge games. Um, yeah. You know, played in big win over New Zealand. He was a valuable man. Stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't, he, didn't he start, he never Wait. lost against the All Blacks? Yeah, so he played the All Blacks five, no, he played the All Blacks five times, won four. Oh, okay, yeah. Was the, the last he one he played? Semi-final. Right. The was the only time he ever lost to them. I see. I can remember that stat being thrown up around the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. What what a player. What a player. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot more about him. This is just us getting started. So there's a point where the, the lines, I think, throw a line up not straight. And then mm. I just write, oh, no, it's about to happen, isn't it? Because they set for an uncontested scrum. And I think I recognise this. Yeah. Thora Dupriya the takes the ball up. And it's a very similar move to the one they did with the J.P. Peterson try. Jacques yeah. Ferry's line is impeccable. And the timing on absolutely everybody's running here is perfect. Brian Habana goes perfectly into a gap and that's game over. Like, Brian Habana getting an inch of space in this match is all that is needed for him to just find a way to the try line. And he does. When you watch it in context with seeing Habana go through behind him, it looks like Jamie Roberts makes a huge error. But then when you watch it back, he hasn't. You know, he's made... His decision is off by an inch. Yeah. Um, And normally... Same that means nothing to make that back up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But instead, it's it's a try. It's the difference between winning and losing God. the series. There's nobody um, else you'd want Roberts... in that position other than Habana, is there? No. Very, very few other players are, you know, running that kind of line uh, and then finishing it. At that speed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Roberts then also does that thing where after missing the tackle, he goes and starts holding his arm. And obviously he had injured it early and he then hurts it worse shortly yeah. afterwards. But he goes... I've got an injury. I've got an excuse. <laughs> I am a doctor. No one will question me. It always reminds me of Andrea Marcy once kicking the ball yeah, out yeah. and full and pretending he had cramp. Which is Falling incredible. down. Like... It's like, if you have cramp, you don't kick the ball. No. He fell down on the floor and waited for the physio to come on and fix him. Then the moment the referee called time back on, he got back up. He's like, yep, I'm fine now. That is, that is heroic shit, Azari. Yeah. I am so he's here for that. Because I like, hope, now that he's coaching Benetton, that is what he's teaching them. Yeah, yeah. If only Gopizzi was still there. Oh, I know, man. I know. But, you know. Remember oh, signed. big Jaden Hayward's gone as well. Gutted. Yeah. That's two weeks hey, in a row he's come up. They, they have signed Andreas Pretorius. As in the ex-Wales oh, Andreas, No, Andreas Pretorius. The fullback. The shit fullback. The shit massive fullback. Oh, um... No, um... Kutsia, Andrews Kutsia. Kutsia, Andrews Kutsia, yes. Yes. So they do still have completely. Who played in the Altikotsia era was shit He was like the... Yeah, the epitome of that era for me. Yeah, exactly. Him and Kortnol Skosan, who's now gone to, like, premiership, I think. I never got... I don't think I ever watched him play, you know, much in the Curry Cup, you know, Mm. the old game of Super Rugby. I never understood him as a player, right? And I'm sure we've got plenty of South African listeners who will probably go, actually, he was brilliant, you know, for whatever. Yeah, yeah. But to me, he was big and useless. Uh, To to me, right. Maybe he'll be a good signing for a team that loves Jaden Hayward so much. Yeah, this is probably a narrow-minded assessment from me, but 
I first heard of him because he finished that try where Dylan Lays did the funny back offload yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. That was where I first heard of Andreas Kutzia. Mm. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, that guy. I, I'll probably quite like him if he's finishing tries like that. Not that he did the hard work for that. And then he got into the Springboks team and just decided, you know what's not cool? Catching. <laughs> yeah, stay safe, kids. <laughs> Wear masks. So... The Lions and Springboks continue some rugby. Yes, yeah, so Habana scores. Habana scores. Things level. The back 59. Score yeah. yeah. 15-19 even. Things are suddenly very, very interesting. Brian O'Driscoll goes have... off injured. O'Driscoll goes off injured. The Shane South Williams Africa comes on. Uh, yeah. Paul O'Connell wins a massive turnover um, yes. to save things. That's after the quick tap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. However... Stephen Jones misses touch, and that's the mo that that feels like the sliding doors moment. That yeah, feels an yeah. awful lot like just if, after if, they, if he hits touch there and they clear and they slow things down a bit. You know, they get back in the South African half. Maybe they kick free, whatever. That feels a bit like they weathered the storm, but instead it's of a horrible moment because you you've just witnessed Stephen Jones go for a really ballsy step and run in his own twenty two, yes. which is unlike him. You know, you didn't usually yeah, see him go yeah. for those, which is why it paid off so much here. And it was a proper like risky moment, and you think, okay, he's on top of the world, he's going to do this, and he misses touch as you say, and the South Africans get a penalty, which Mornay I... Stain steps up to take. And he nails it. I've got it written down as 64 minutes. I made a jot of this. It all feels very inevitable. Yeah. Like, it becomes horrible to watch. It, it does, It becomes it? like watching like like an existentialist movie where you're just watching yeah. a man lose his life, you know? Yeah, it it's is. Like you're watching a film like Death Row or something. Yeah. It feels like it's playing out so slowly. Yeah. And partly because we know the result, but, you know... Also, just like the way in which momentum has swung so completely from the first 20 minutes, which were entirely Lions, to yeah. now be, you know, it's, it's gone from being like 99% Lions to it swung round to like 90% Springboks, right? Yeah. And it's not as comprehensive, which makes it worse. Yeah. You know, that there's still enough hope and the scoreboard is still on the Lions' side for quite a while. Yeah, it's still 18-19 at this point. And straight from the kickoff, yeah. Skulk Berger shoots off offside uh, from like mm. a, in like an attacking opportunity. And they go 22-18 up. And it's a really easy penalty. You think, okay, we've got the four-point cushion back. This is yeah. this is okay. We can live with this, you know. Uh, even also... though they've lost both Roberts and O'Driscoll. O'Gara's on at 10. Stephen Jones having to play in centre with Tommy Bow. It's incredibly mishma- mishmash. But... Martin Williams comes on. Me having previously said there's no yeah. way I could ever see Nugget coming on. Suddenly it suits him. Suddenly you need yeah. someone to do, be like a little ginger prick. Because they broken up like, bits of play yeah. from time to time, and which I didn't remember or see coming. And it's the, it suddenly becomes the kind of game where it's going to swing on one moment, right? Uh, and it eventually swings on two moments. Yeah. But that's how it feels. And Martin Williams is the kind of guy who will pull out moments both in attack as that kind of link man role he'd like to play. Uh, but also, just in terms of, he will pull off a turnover that literally no other player in the history of rugby could pull off because yeah. it was illegal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that might happen at some point. Yeah, um, and it's why I think he Martin does Williams get away with an incredibly being... illegal turnover at some point, doesn't he? I think. Yeah, he always says it's Martin Williams. Yeah. That's why Martin Williams should it's be. He's often forgotten. It's why he should always be in the conversation for the great open sides because yeah. he is the most open side player. Right, yeah, like yeah. I've never seen someone who made even Richie McCaw didn't make as much of a career off being as much of a shit house 
yeah. who just like cheated. Martin yeah. Williams' entire thing was knowing how to get away with cheating. Yeah, even yeah. beyond yeah the the McCaws and the whoever's of the world. Yeah. So you he know who came board. up with a big moment in defence? Hey, Heinrich Brousseau yeah. came up with a big turnover uh, and just like the lines looked like, okay, we can get a bit more momentum back. Why don't we? And he's just an animal, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah, instead yeah. turns a good yeah. lines attacking opportunity into a good springbok attacking opportunity. Yes. From there, they get... Uh, it all becomes very, very depressing. It does. I kind of have almost no notes for the last 10 minutes because I didn't feel like I needed them. And I was just kind of sitting there, staring at the screen, feeling my life slowly ebb out um, as it must have done like tenfold in in 2009. I think it's it's how I grew a beard. Just watching this game, I aged 20 years. Yeah. And suddenly had a full beard by the time the game was finished. Yeah, Um, I had mine. I think mine started. So I was, what, 11, maybe 12 at the time. So I think mine was about seven years old by this point, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, genuinely, I. Yeah, so I would have been, what, like year nine or something? I I could could grow a visible mustache in year eight. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that's. I think. Every single like male hormone I should be getting all goes into facial, like, into like hair production, like mm. body hair production. So those are my only masculine qualities. Um, should we talk more about your body hair? hair? Uh, please let's <laughs> let's talk about my shoulders. No, let's talk about, uh, about Jacques Paul Ferry. Let's talk about Jacques Ferry. Let's talk about <laughs> Jacques, Jacques Ferry, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the feet that are not in touch. So yeah. This try took far less time than I thought it did. Right? I it seems super easy. Feeling like it took 20 phases of back and forth, left and right. It's the sort of try where you've gradually ground down your opposition and it's like, yeah. okay, we're just going to put it over here now. Whereas instead it was like three phases. Mornay yeah, staying, just pulling the strings. Side. Yeah, and JP kinda... Peterson, great bit of handling under pressure to set Heinrich Brousseau of all people again mm. free. Gives an early ball to Jaffrey, and the rest is history. Like, yeah. Let's say they just sort of work one face to the other side. They then carry there for a bit, and the Lions' defense really condenses around the ruck. Like, it really all convenes in yeah. one area. And then they're suddenly they've got massive numbers over. Yeah. And you can hear the fear in Miles Harrison's voice as it goes wide. I know. Yeah. It is. And again, we said this last week, like, Lions, Miles Harrison is the voice of all Lions fans, you know? Yes. There's. That sense of dread that he brings was was all of us at that point. My favourite is there's a turnover about this point. I think it's Paul O'Connor's turnover, uh, which you know, huge turnover penalty by Paul O'Connor by the captain. You know, he's he's screaming for it, and then Andrew Sheridan picks a fight with someone, and Harrison goes, "Don't reverse it." <laughs> oh, you've got to love it. You've got to love it. So. It's yes, a, so, an insane show of strength from Jacques Ferry. He yeah, bumps off goes... Ronan O'Gara, who makes a really poor attempt at getting him down, to be honest. And then he has to deal with, what, Tommy Bow and Mike Phillips, isn't it, in the corner. Yeah. And he manages to outmuscle them both and slams the ball down with everything he has. And, like, Bow gives it a good go. Like, yeah. this is a good cover attempt by Bow that will put most yeah, players yeah. into touch. Yeah. Forey is nowhere near the touchline. Well, he's obviously, he's near the touch. He's near the touch. But he, his, he is not going out, right? Like, yeah. He is safe. Thank you. He is, he is absolutely, absolutely fleabag. Um, yeah. You know, he is, he is any other BBC comedy from the last 15 years. And yeah, so he is safely in. Uh, it's a great, great finish. 
it does look like his foot goes into touch, but then you realise it's Heinrich Brousseau's boot. Yeah, which is a really important thing. Because I was thinking like, oh, so th- is this a controversial thing? Is it not trial all along? And it's Miles Harrison points out that's Heinrich Brousseau's boot. Mm. And I go, oh, it is, isn't it? And it's but an incredible finish. Just keep his feet in place. because play. it's the same TMO from the 2007 World Cup final. Yes, yeah, so it's Stuart that Dickinson, think, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of England fans probably wanting to be furious. Sure, yeah. So, did you hear the conversation between Lawrence and Burdos that follows this? <laughs> yes, yes, I so, was get this up. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it, or do you want me to get Yeah, it? sure, sure. Us? So, again, uh, we've established that Bryce Lawrence has clearly lost all respect for Christoph Burdos. And so he asks Christoph Burdos, I have this written down, is his foot in touch when he when he dives? And Christoph Burdos then just uh, gets his earpiece in and says to the TMO, foot in touch and dives? Yes. And just repeats back a few words from that, clearly not understanding what question Bryce Lawrence has asked him, and just tried to phonetically repeat it. So clearly he, he doesn't know what he's actually asking. And it's so, the right decision. Jaffrey does obviously score the try. Yes. But it, it rings alarm bells. It's a major red flag when the referee is trying his best to understand his AR when he clearly has no idea what he's asked. Bryce Lawrence, after his initial burst and his initial kind of snarky comments, realises, yeah. I should really be refereeing this game. Yeah. And start stepping given... in all the time and trying to tell him what to do and tell him how to referee the match. Yeah. Given the previous week, Christoph Burdos didn't know the yeah. protocol for a 22 dropout. Uh, exactly. And Lawrence had to overrule him on that. So here we are at the touch. Like, Burdos is about to go up to the TMO anyway. Lawrence come, runs over to him to have a word. They are the world champions. So he's about to talk anyway. Lawrence runs over and says, do you want to check touching goal? you want to check this? Da, 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 da. Uh, it's about to happen anyway. But, you know, he wants wants to have a little word. And then, as you were discussing... Question, any reason why I can't award the try, therefore... Christoph, I have a decision. It's going to be a try. He, you may award a try. I cannot, may, may or what? Yes, you may oh, award a try. And you are going to hear... The biggest rule. If the foot in touch is die, can you check so a few points there one he says 20 blue not green oh yeah so uh Congratulations to Italy on winning the Lion Series. Yeah. You also have, yeah, him, as you say, saying, uh, foot is in touch, is the line, is... Um, He's phonetically uh, trying to repeat what Lawrence has yeah. said to him. Uh, he doesn't he understand the question. Yeah. And so I think when, and like, you know, it, it feels like we're very much picking on the guy whose English isn't very good here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, which is kind of what we're hey, doing, I'm afraid. Did you know that Christoph Burdos' hovercraft is full of eels? What? Never mind. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm just going to oversee that. So, yeah, when Dickinson says to him, no, the foot's not in touch, that's fine. I kind mm. of feel like Burdos is gambling by giving the try. Well, for all he knows, that could have been Dickinson saying, no, that's, it's not a try, you know? Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, the referee in TMO and Touch Judge can't look at the screen at this point. So yeah. that's also what Lawrence has been doing. But the TMO can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the TMO's on the screen. TMO's got to go entirely off vibes and mime. T- TMO has a hat which you can pick out of. <laughs> yeah. TMO plays Eeny, Meeny, Miny, so, Mo. The 
uh, the TV director comes in and and does charades as to whether or not it's a try, whether he's in yeah. touch. Yeah. He's not allowed to look at the screen. And Fori gets the look of the draw and the try is given. When I say um, the look of the draw, I mean incredible, it's like superhuman stress. Yeah. When Mornay's name comes to kick the conversion, they instead on screen don't put the E on Mornay, they put the kind of like division sign. Right. I put this, uh, I, I was I was going to come to this on Dick of the Day, because they did this for the previous penalty as well. Mm. That It's a tick, isn't it? So the yeah, Eon yeah. Mornay is a tick. So he's Morn Tick Stain. I'll ha- I, what I'll do is I'll get a screenshot of this and I'll put it on the yeah. tweet for the podcast. But yeah, like what a bizarre thing. So I was going to come to this on Dick of the Day and I'm glad you've brought this up. I'm glad you also noticed this mm. because that would have been a really hard thing to describe on my own. Yes. Yeah, it's... Because it looks like that, like maths equation thing where you put like a number on the other side and you divide and yeah. divide it by it. I forgot what that's called. That's what I read it as. Yeah, I, I think you might be right. It's maths, I don't know. Isn't it? As I said, I can yeah. only count to six. Yeah, but yeah. So this brings us through. Speaking of maths, speaking of uh, me only knowing up to the number six, uh, this brings it to twenty-five, twenty-two. Yeah, and. So the Lions suddenly are three points behind the conversion, meaning it's not a point. They can't win it with a kick. Yeah. And the Lions do get downfield and they do win a penalty. And Paul O'Connor makes a really bold decision to go for goal. From about 43 metres out, I would say. In the first touch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And he absolutely nails it. They go 25 all. Yeah. There's another yep. point, Great so, and he he gives, uh, like, Neil Jenkins hugs him afterwards, but Stephen Jones has this look of yeah. just steely focus on his face, of just like, no, I can't that. celebrate. Another. Yeah. That's six, 76 minutes he kicks that. So there's a point where um, South Africa kick loosely to Shane Williams in the backfield, mm. and you think, go on, Shane. And so Shane Williams, like, he shapes up as if he's going to run straight, and then he absolutely waltzes past Skulkberger. He absolutely skulls him with a step, goes past him with ease and such grace and balance, and you think, oh, Shane, I love you. And then before he can make any ground, Heinrich Brousseau picks him up and nails him and puts him on his ass. And so by stepping Skulkberger in such a glorious way, he has just ran into the path of the hardest flanker in the world who has put him on his ass. Which it's is, the, you know, in Dick of the Day contention itself. It's the most beautiful way anyone's ever lost three metres. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, was, it was a moment of brilliance by Shane, followed by a moment of being too small by Shane. Yes. They, two teams then, at 25 all, yeah. slip into a bit of kick tennis. It yeah. slides, all goes a little bit 20-21. Yeah. Two teams kicking back and forth. For a Dupria, Pulls the moment that made me make the loudest noise. Uh, he dummies a kick, dummies a pass, and makes a break down the wing himself. I did not remember this, did not see this coming at all. Completely no. caught me off guard. Made so me little call- space. Yeah. Noise. And I also stood my toe whilst I was watching it as well. Um, that was that was the noise. Yeah. It is a proper big cool moment. So he, yeah, runs down the wing, and they start to get the spring box into the position where you think, oh, they can they can work for some points here. It doesn't happen. They lose the ball. Ronan Lugaro's on at this point. You notice that and you think... I did think to myself whilst looking at this that final play, like I remember... You, you remember how the game finishes. I've yeah. forgotten how that penalty came to be awarded um, in a moment of having forgotten about rugby. And I sort of think, was it, he's the, who did, what, what happened? And it slowly, as we got further and further along, started to set in more and more. So the Springbok spends 
a long time setting up and going through the phases and not making any ground, but they're sort of still within range. Uh, and they have both stay and stand just inside their own half back for the drop goal. Yeah, so eventually Francois promotes himself and you think, okay, so Mornay is going to have to go from 50 here. Uh, and we know that he's got that boot, you know, like yeah. we've seen him kick that le- that length. And this comes off, you know, like South Africa had made a nice break through Jacobs to get into the half. And you can tell their own thing about drop goal here. They're not thinking about going for another break. They're not thinking about going no. out wide, you know. They're just thinking about Mornay staying eventually when, when Francois promotes himself and uh, acts as an extra guard and an extra forward. They go into the pocket. 79 minutes, 32 seconds... Mornay Stain's drop goal falls short of the line. Mm. So the ball bounces up and Rob Carney has it. He has a little run. He puts yes. a kick brilliantly, perfectly, it's, into the South African 22. It's an ju- incredible kick. Just before the South African try line. But only to see that as the ball is bobbling on the floor, Mornay Stain himself has worked back about 40 metres, picks mm. up the ball and spirals it perfectly back into the Lions 22 with, like, not really much of an angle. And that, for me, is the match-winning kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mornay Stain yeah. curling that from... Because Rob Carney could not have done any better. I, the ball could maybe have bounced into touch when, for him, but... When Carney throws that or makes that kick, I couldn't work out how the Lions lose the game from there. It, it didn't feel real. Like, it's a clip. No. The, the, the Ogara thing is a clip we've all seen a million times before. Yes. But it didn't feel like it would fit into where we are in this test. You know? Yeah, exactly. It felt like, how are we going to get to a point where that is what's happening? But Mornay Stain so, replying the, the, the with the that kick. kick. Yeah, to describe it, like, it lands in the 22, bounces over the fullback shoulder, and is about to go into touch when Stain regathers it. Like, yeah. it is on the touch line, about 5, 10 metres from his own line. The, it, it bounced very luckily for Stain as well. You know, bounced, the ball bounced very yes, nicely for him. But the ball has already gone over every Springbok shoulder and put them yeah. at such a disadvantage with a chase coming up. Such a pressurised situation for Stain to be Whether it would have been Bow or someone chasing. Yeah. yeah, like there is a lot of pressure on. Mm-hmm. And for Stain to then get it back, as you say, into the 22 and manage to make up enough ground, I'm not sure who's back with him to you know put everyone on side, that it forces the kick to come back in reply from the Lions, Yeah, is a remarkable and tiny moment of skill. Because yeah. Carney has put them into a really dark corner there and Stain yeah. crept their way back out incredibly quickly and incredibly nonchalantly. Second cap. I was literally about to say that. Yeah. Second cap. And that is a moment of individual brilliance which has turned one of the most high-pressure rugby matches in history mm. on his second cap. That is that is what... I mean, like... It feels weird saying this about Mornay Stain, but that is what a Springbok all-time great is Yes, is made of, you know, moments yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So we all know what happens. So oh, Ronan Ogara. That ball bounces there and you see it going towards Ogara. The clip I, we've seen starts. I had this just complete existential dread set in. Yeah. Like I just stood up and sort of walked to the back of my kitchen where I was watching it. And I the, almost couldn't watch. Like, I just... I could... I was... I, I think I screamed to myself, not this time. Like, yeah. don't do it this time, Ronan. The the voice of Sean Edwards screaming, kick it out, kick it out. Oh, yeah. Like, I could hear that in the back of my head. It wasn't on the clip, but mm. it is imprinted on that moment. Ronan Nogara sticks the ball in the air. 
and it goes into touch for full time, and the lines draw. <laughs> that's what I've written in my notes, so therefore that's what happens. No, he sticks yeah, the ball in I... the air. Florida Prier goes up for it. Ron Nogara takes him in the air. It's a penalty, fifty-five meters out from the Lions try line, and it's 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 not Ogara's finest moment. He is bandaged up, uh, pretty much. His head is pretty much held on with glue. Mm. I don't know if he couldn't see or what. I, I, I'm not really sure what was going through Ogara's head. I know that these stupid moments happen on rugby field, you know, and that is one thing that people remember Ogara for quite a lot, which is again a shame because he's an excellent player yeah. and by all accounts probably a good person. But hey, um, did you know that some women do try to understand rugby, uh, but they can't because they're. Oh Christ! Yeah, Ogara said that, didn't he? Uh, Never mind, a he's a thing prick. Rowan Ogara once said. Yeah, I uh, forgot <laughs> Never mind, he's a shit. This no, but it was it was something mistake. that it was something that Tom Savage brought up on that that first episode we did. Yeah, where he mentioned that you know a lot of people always bring this tour up and Ogara having the mare in that last ten minutes uh, yeah. when he was missing a lot of blood and bleeding and kind of. Probably concussed. Like he probably wouldn't be allowed to play these days. To be honest, you're probably um, right. Yeah, in that state, we'd have had we probably Harry Ellis on at ten. We'd have, we'd have had Ross Ford on at ten. Yeah, oh, I hope so. Which would have been a worthy delight. Yeah, genuinely, However, Shane instead, Williams would have been playing fly half at that point. Yeah. Oh no, Stephen. Oh, yeah, we, we didn't quite cover. So the yeah, so the the Lions backline at this point is Mike Phillips at nine, right? Fine. But then Ronan the Gar at ten, Tommy Bow at twelve, with Stephen Jones at thirteen. Yeah. With Luke Fitzgerald and Shane Williams on the wings and Rob Carney at fullback. So basically, they originally put Tommy Bow at 12 because Jamie Robs was injured. And mm-hmm. so he needed to be further away from the contact so he could have some time to recover, basically. I think was the, the kind of logic behind mm. that. Jamie Roberts then went off basically the next stoppage. Stephen Jones ended up... I think the logic then became, Tommy Bow, you're a lot more comfortable in contact than Stephen Jones is. So we're just going to yeah. make you play like a first first centre, you know, uh, and take the ball up more. And Stephen Jones is just gonna, kind kind of play out the back. Well, he does a great job. Tommy Bow plays better at centre than he did on the wing, almost. Like, he was he was fantastic in both positions. And as you say, Tommy Bow couldn't have done much more in this game. Uh, he was brilliant when he moved into the centres and did everything that was asked of him. But, yeah. yeah. The... Uh, let's just get to it. Mornay yeah. Stain lines the, at the penalty so the from 55 yards. the about this, right, is a player on their second cap is lining up a penalty from their own half, right? But the thing you feel and the thing you felt at the time is dread. It's not, oh, is he going to get it? It's inevitability, isn't it? It's not what's it? coming next. Exactly. Yeah. It's that inevitability that you know it's going over, even though it should be a really difficult shot from a long way out by you someone. You have so much confidence that this world-class player is going to slot it. Yep. Yep. It's, Yeah. It's it's unbelievable, and the amount of times you've seen somebody, a young player, miss those kicks and go, "Oh well, I kind of wasn't expecting him to," you know, maybe when he's older. Yeah. yeah. No, Oliseo earlier the season, you know, missing that yeah. winning kick, and you know, his teammates flooding around him. Yeah. Um, all yeah. of that. Yeah. And no one blames them. No one blames them. Absolutely not. But Mornay Stain never had like sympathy wasn't something that you could give him you know like he he was never a young unexperienced player he was just icy cold slotted the penalty mm. from 55 yards and broke lions hearts so i am going to read you what miles harrison says the two teams run out from the start of the game okay, okay. this is his comments on the stadium itself where it's taking place in pretoria i believe he said, this is a ground where dreams are not just crushed, but turned into reoccurring nightmares. Okay? Yeah. This game finished with dreams not just being crushed, 
but crushed by Mornay Stain kicking a late winner to win the Lions series in the 79th minute. Yeah. Where have we seen that one since? Yeah, yeah, that's never going to Turned into again. reoccurring nightmares. Oh, man. Oh, Mornay. Ever prescient. He's good, isn't he? He's good at rugby. Yeah. He makes such a difference, man. Yeah. Um, he really, really turns things. Yeah. I feel like we've talked in circles a lot, but we haven't really talked about the Springboks that much. Yeah, I suppose um, so, but... I they... think there's a lot of... Like, I think Victor Matfield is incredible throughout this game. He is, yeah. Uh, he plays phenomenally well. I think the full front row actually play... John Smith has a good game. Bismarck Duplessis has an excellent game. Well. That he does, quick yeah. yeah. Uh, PSP scores with the game as it goes on. Yeah. And Foy Dupria is still one of the best rugby players I've ever seen. Yeah, um, yeah. He's just... We can, we can transition this into picking a man of the match, can't we? Yes, that's what I think I was going to do. So, should we go into man of the match? So, you, you go first. I, so, I think Victor Matfield has a phenomenal game, as I just said. Uh, I think Foy Dupree is probably the Springboks' best player. I think he his level of kind of tactical awareness is consistently really, really excellent. And there's a few moments, like that kick to Peterson, like that little step at the end, where he just pulls things that you can't see coming. Yeah. And he, every decision he makes is basically spot on. Yeah. I think he's... He's good as he's flawless. The best there is. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I think Stephen Jones has a really he's excellent great, game. isn't he? Yeah. Stephen Jones is fantastic here, and I also think right we haven't mentioned him. I don't think we mentioned his name once in either episode. David Wallace is really he's really great, good. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Wallace plays very, very well. He was on very. He sits down on the bench, and I thought that man does not look like a rugby player. He looks like he manages a warehouse where you go to get car parts <laughs> somewhere in like the West Midlands. Sure. Sure. But no, you know, it turns out he's an international quality flanker and a very, very good one at that. Yeah. And then, you know, you mentioned both props and Matthew Reese plays 80 minutes as well. Um, both props are very good. Uh, Luke Fischold has a better game than I remembered as well. Yeah, yeah, um, no, he does play well. He does play he's well. Far he has his moments, yeah. But for me, man of the match is between two names and it's really, really difficult to pick between Simon Shaw and Rob Carney because I think both of them, as I said earlier, had they both had very long, very celebrated, very decorated careers. Yeah. And I think this is the best either of them ever played yeah. in their career. Yeah. And it feels unfair to pick one of them. But I feel like I would be letting the team down as, you know, a one-time fullback myself if I didn't go for the one and only Mr. Robert Carney. Fair play. I, I have written down, I've got Adam Jones written down, I've got Victor Matfield written mm. down. Fauri Dupree is the reason why the Springboks win this game which is a, a difficult thing to see past. And I guess the likes of Mornay staying sure. behind Brousseau off the bench as well, obviously, makes such a difference. But I also go down to the same thing as you with Shaw and Carney. I think it's impossible to see past Carney. He's man of the match for me. I've I've spent this entire podcast talking about how great he was under the high ball and the goal his kicking was. So Rob Carney can um, have his name up there with Duel Dimas as the tour's best players. Yeah. Uh, I feel for Simon Shaw an awful lot that he hasn't got a single nod there. Yeah, yeah. Having the best game of his career. Uh, I want to just throw him like a sympathy vote, but I don't know if there's any point in that. Yeah. So, dick of the day. I, <laughs> I mean... So, I've got I've got a couple of honourable mentions. Okay. So, one of them is the TV director for the Morn Plus stain thing, uh, yes. or whatever it was. One of them is John Smith for giving away a really skillful penalty where he plucks away the he comes in from an offside position and plucks the ball out of the line side of the ruck one handed, like with his fingertips okay. and gets penalised okay. for it. Cool. And it's like, you know, it's pretty cool. There's a couple of times like he, he did one handed pickups and stuff, it was quite cool. 
it's Christoph Burdos for me again. Like he's again the dick of the day for me. And we've we've covered his discussions with Bryce Lawrence, uh, both with mm. the TMO, with the um, burger incident. There's a point where he tells Alan Wynne Jones off in French. <laughs> Alan Wayne Joes. He had to be dick of the day for me. Like, he forgot that he was refereeing two English-speaking nations mm. uh, in a referee that is ultimately refereed in English. And he, clearly he was struggling with speaking English. And so yeah, he just yeah. decided to revert to French at one point. And Alan Wayne Jones was offside from a kick. And so he told him off in French. He's dick of the day. I thought Alan Wayne Jones was very good off the bench as well. Oh, yeah, he was good. We didn't mention him. I thought he was everywhere. Yeah. No, so I think, once again, it's a real two-horse race for dick of the day. Because I had Christoph Burdos nailed on for the entire game and pretty much the entire podcast. And then I remembered that Ronan Bloody O'Gara. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and I don't think he, I don't think we can let him off scot-free here. That's a so, really good point. So, I just look, totally forgot about that. Yep. So, far as I'm concerned, right, dick of the day is going to Ronan O'Gara, and I don't think I need to explain why. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> GG, good podcast. <laughs> wow so yeah that South Africa win the series 2-0 oh, right not too real. Yeah, South Africa South Africa have won the series the thing is tied up the Lions look dejected Paul O'Connell looks deflated yeah uh, Simon Shaw as we discussed is heartbroken uh, he mentions in the change room no one's talking yeah. no one talks at all you know McGeekin apparently says something about you can still be proud of this but you know, it's a very like Uncle Geach thing to say. Sure, yeah, and they should. You and, know, they gave everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. One of the did. best Lions Test but, matches you'll ever see, if not absolutely. the best. Absolutely. Uh, everyone floods on Mornay Stain, who is understandably the hero of yeah the twelve year period. Yeah, um, and then <laughs> hey, guess what? He will be again until his son does it next time. Yeah. Oh man, what a what a Test series that is! It's deflating to even talk about at this point. Yes. but yeah. Wow, uh, I, I'm kind of I, I'm I'm finished in terms of words. <laughs> so good, 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 good. So am I apparently. Mm. Okay, so there is a third test. They do go on and play it anyway, despite the series being decided. And it is a good test, like it's good value. So you know we're going to cover that. Yes, we are. We'll pick up there next week. We will see you then for a test that Christoph Burdos is not involved in. Yes. Goodbye, Thank you, everybody. I hope you're having a very wonderful week, and we will see you in the next week, which I hope will also be very. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wonderful. Bye! Bye!